I saw an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. Welcome, everyone, to All About All Elite for the week of April 19th, 2019. Happy Easter weekend in a week where potentially there are folks within and around the wrestling world who perhaps should be buried without resurrection. <laughs> we come to you after taking a week off to do G1 Supercard, and there was so much news, so many signings, so much excitement, so much quality video, so much quality storyline, so much so that it's hard to get to all of it. And then undercutting that, surrounding that, suffocating that is bullshit narratives. People with their sources that will prove out to be true or not be true about AEW, about TV. And I'm going to say this, and I don't wish anything bad on anyone, but I wish a fair return on investment to everyone that if you make any money off this business and you're reporting sources and insider information and it proves to be false and it proves to be damaging I hope you never make money off this business again and I hope your credibility becomes what it should become and I don't know what's true right now but we're gonna get into a lot of things today we're gonna talk AEW TV, we're going to talk the rumors every six hours. It's a whole different claim, different story. We are going to talk uh, being the elite, road to double or nothing, NWA. There's so much going down. This show is stacked. Of course, on the back, if and when we get to it, you got MLW, Fusion, the Legacy Series, and maybe the biggest convince me of our entire era. So this episode... It's stacked. Ladies and gentlemen, I am the LOP Mystic, a.k.a. your one-man hype band, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Mizfan, The Brain. Greetings, Mizfan fans. Welcome indeed back to All About All Elite. I have no idea how this show is going to go. It's been... uh, a big uh, week or two on all fronts for myself. I'm coming off uh, my sister being in town and staying with us, which was great. Um, she's an amazing person. She's a teacher and uh, an honest to, honest to goodness playwright, published, mm. wins festivals, all this Beautiful. stuff. She's incredible. But with something like that comes uh, schedule disruption. So I've been all over the place. Also, this past Monday, my wife uh, was in a car accident. Mm. Uh, and uh, it was, uh, I won't say that it wasn't serious, because the car is totaled, and she did go to the hospital, but more or less she is okay, we are okay, and uh, yeah, it's been a lot of stuff. We are recording this at a completely different time than usual, due to all these scheduled disruptions, and just so happens we have one of the most obnoxious things to talk about today, Um But on top of that, we do have a lot of really awesome stuff to talk about today. So I'm very excited. I am prepared. I I have made it to this point. My friend, let's get into it right now. First of all, I'm thankful that your wife is okay, and my thoughts are with you on that whole situation. 
Um, I, that's the first time I'm hearing about that. And, you know, we are we're already doing this at a different time. We're doing this recording at night, uh, the night before we usually do these shows in the morning on Saturdays. And, yeah, everything's out of whack. I think it's appropriate that we're doing this at a different day and a different time because nothing feels secure in this moment. Mm. And so we're going to be insecure not because we are in the moment, but because everything around us is moving that way. So we're going, we're going to chase these things down. And we're going to pin them down tonight and we're going to deal with some things and we're going to put it out there. And if there are AEW wrestling fans, you know, fans that like wrestling, because I'm going to tell you something right now. There are, there are people who watch professional wrestling who, who hate professional wrestling. who do not want professional wrestling to succeed. Don't want professional wrestlers to succeed. Don't, is it's is fucking weird. It's a little bit disgusting. I would not argue it if you're a wrestling fan who who wants pro wrestling companies to fail before they even start. I would suggest there's probably other things wrong. And if you want to go get help and talk to somebody, I would not I would not say don't do that. I was I would welcome that for your sake. And I'm not I'm not in a good mood because there's so much beautiful, beautiful stuff waiting in the rest of this show. So much beautiful stuff. Like we are going to talk about the five star system and if it if it is a flawed uh, system beyond repair, if it needs to start over again, we have an amazing convince me. There's some storytelling elements in AEW this week that reminded me of why I love professional wrestling. We got beautiful beautiful things to talk about but we cannot we cannot ignore cannot not talk about the fact that AEW is currently either in negotiations to be on Turner and it's unprecedented or they're begging their way to be an infomercial and pay their way on and the rumors I, I got four articles that I printed out just to make sure I get all this right all this happened within about a 24 hour window mind you where you go to bed, and all the rumors are that AEW will be on TNT, and that's something for everyone to be happy about. I promise you. I promise you. And Ms. Van's going to get in here in a minute. I just want, I'm going to lay everything out, and then we're, we're just going to get into it. But I promise, I promise you, if WCW had defeated WWE, and WWE had went out of business, and I kept watching WCW... And I've been watching it for 40 fucking years or 50 years. And it's been nothing but merriment for me. And another wrestling company came along and got a TV deal and other people were happy. I promise you, I would be happy for them. That's that's the simple basics of it. Again, if we can't meet there, then just please step off. Step off. We don't need you listening. I honestly don't want you to listen. I wouldn't want to talk to you. I wouldn't want to sit next to you in a wrestling show. I wouldn't want to sit next to you on an airplane. I wouldn't want to chat with you online. So step off. I don't want, I really don't want anything to do with you. So we get this report from one Tony uh, Maglio. I'm just trying to listen to him on his podcast, but I only got five minutes in because the show started. Uh, this guy's supposedly plugged in, and the funny thing in the beginning of the interviews, they said you're really plugged into WWE sources. So that is interesting by itself. Um, but he comes out with this, that they're going to buy time. AEW will be buying time. And I'm going to get to Sean Ross Sapp because when he usually comes out with something, 
it's usually, okay, great, we're going to get something real here, we're going to squash something, but even his uptake was that this thing is not um, guaranteed one way or the other. He doesn't have the solid answer one way or the other. But I want to read you something. I'm jumping all around. I could not make myself prepared, listeners. Like, I could have done this maybe more succinctly, but I knew something. It's going to irritate me so much to talk about this that I could not prep it because I I knew I could only do it one time. That's how much I'm irritated right now. So Sean Ross Sapp begins his article, and I'm jumping ahead because his is a response to uh, what these rumors that came out. But his first line, AEW is a polarizing topic before they even held their first show, and that's to be expected. So he's not really making a judgment. He's making a factual statement that is disgusting, that makes me lose respect for humanity and sure as fuck lose respect for wrestling fans. Because there's always something in my nervous system, in my felt sense, that said when everyone tried to stigmatize TNA and they would have a good reason, oh, they they jumped the shark here, they embarrassed wrestling here, they did that, I always knew you're telling the truth and you're not telling the truth. You're telling the truth that TNA gave you excuses, but they, they always knew there was a bit of let's stigmatize this company so that no matter what it does, it will always be marginalized. It will always be small. It will always be for the other fan and the lesser fan, and it cannot grow. And this is what irritates me. I don't want to be talking about this tonight, but uh, Mr. Sean Ross uh, Sapp says, why does it matter? Why does any of this matter if they're paying or not paying? I'm not sure it really does to anyone outside of AEW. They're not a publicly traded company, and whatever method they utilize to get on television is really on them. You know what? In a perfect world, that's true. But you know why it matters? It has to matter to me, even though I don't want it to, because if that perception wins, then we've already marginalized AEW. We've already stigmatized it, and then it can't make it, not because it's not good enough or it doesn't have potential, but we've already stigmatized it. And can you please take a step back if you're listening, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. But can you take a step back and think about wrestling fans who are already kind of othered in a lot of society? Like, this is not high art to most people. It's embarrassing still. I don't care how, I don't care if ESPN covers it. It's still, we are othered by people outside of us. And then we put a stigma on our own brands our own companies our own sport our own love before it gets started so that it will be crippled at the knees and people will lose money and jobs and space on tv and fans won't get what they want and wrestlers won't have the opportunity we do that to ourselves that is disgusting so no i don't want to care about it because i honestly don't give a fuck because in the first report they said the ultimate fighter paid their way on. I don't know if that's true or not, but the show ended up being on for God knows how long, and they ended up getting money. So AEW, and yeah, I'll be quiet now, but AEW could easily do that, but the reason that I have to care about it is because if it's a fucking perception, then it's not about the actual going on behind the scenes. It's about the fact that we're already stigmatizing this company to make sure that other people don't feel comfortable liking it and talking about it so that it cannot grow. Ugh. Listen to this headline, Ms. Fan. So All Elite Wrestling reportedly likely to pay for his airtime. <laughs> reportedly likely. <laughs> for fuck's sake. 
put those words, like stand by it. That's another thing. Just come out and say it's true because this, this guy heard from his sources and his sources are plugged in. So it's true. So then I have a question, though, because Dave, Dave Meltzer came out. He's kind of in the AEW camp, according to people. But again, this is going to play out one way or the other. And it's not going to be in, in between. Nobody's sitting down at a table and they're saying we're, we're either going to be really good to you and give you all these things because we want you or you're going to pay for everything yourself. Somebody's not telling the truth here. And so Dave Meltzer says one hour is false because also this dude says it's going to be one hour because why would you pay for two hours when you have to pay your way on? Time by is false and goes on to give a bunch of reasons why this is false. And this is where it gets a little shady to me because we're going to hear from Tony Maglio again in a moment. Sean Ross steps in on Twitter, also says sources on the AEW side of things are denying rumors of a time by. One said they'd not even heard time by as a discussion before news broke yesterday. I guess we'll see either way. And then here comes Tony, who talked to, mind you, this is within a 24-hour period, but after all this pushback, he talked to his uh, source again. Person still believes any hefty rights fee is highly unlikely. A time buy could also just be worked out via adjusted ad rev split. Lots of ways to account for TV money, as we know. Negotiations continue. So, within 24 hours... They might not be buying their way. There might there might be a split. It might be this. It might be that. So that moved fast. Um, I don't know how it moved that quickly, but you know, here we are. So here we are with this big fucking mess. Um, I've said about all that I'm going to say. So I've got all that on the table. You wake up to this. You see the moving parts. Um, the response from uh, true or false? Who knows? The response from AEW's camp, according to everyone who has inquired, is two words. It's bullshit, so we will see. Ms. Fan, I'm done. <laughs> well, I'll just say, God love you for uh, actually researching that far, because I didn't have the heart after I saw mm. the first few. <clears throat> he said, she said, back and forth. You know me, I don't really like to follow this backstage yeah. business wrestling stuff, because it's not wrestling to me. It's, it's barely related. Uh, and it's very sad, like you say, that uh, unfortunately we do have to deal with these perceptions. And uh, I like the way you put it. Yeah, I'm just trying to other, other, others. Mm. You know what I'm trying to say. But yeah. if you want to try to put some kind of rumor or news out there, I guess, fine. Like, that's your power. If you want to speculate or if you think you have some source, whatever. Obviously, there are conversations that people want to have about that stuff. Whatever. Sure. Fine. What really gets to me, though, and you touched on it, and I want to hit it even harder here, is the people who, for reasons that I really can't possibly understand, can't begin to understand, they go out there with these bits of whatever, news or rumor or speculation or bullshit, and they're just, like, they're giddy about it. Like, they're mm. gleeful. They're like so pleased that this wrestling company could possibly be having trouble before it even starts. How the fuck do you get a mindset like that? This is what people talk about when they talk about toxic fans. Mm. If you are contributing to this, you are literally a toxin in the fan base of mm. wrestling. And, uh, yeah, you're horrible. So, huh, yeah, no, that... 
when I saw that going down, I got like legitimately, I won't say upset because I don't take it that seriously, but just like so irritated. Like it's so under my skin when I see this kind of like negative toxicity, just like, because I'm not even the type. You will almost never hear me say just like, oh, shut up. Like, you know, you're not enjoying it the right way or what, but right. you're not enjoying anything. <laughs> you know, you're like, Ooh, some misery. Yeah. Oh, misery. Yes. I, oh, I found something bad. Great. Like, oh my God, Jesus Christ. I can't even, I can't even engage with that kind of mindset. I, for a long time, I never, uh, I'm on social media and it's bad for me, but for a long time, I didn't even like ever use the mute button or anything. Cause mm. I was like, I'm going to hear all sides. I'm going to take the, like, no, I've been just like on a muting spree <laughs> like crazy. Cause man, I don't need to be mm. injecting toxins into my own body with all of these like terrible takes, these negativity, these people who are getting some sort of weird pleasure out of things going badly for other people. I don't care if you don't like Cody, if you don't like Kenny Omega. I don't like Kenny Omega. I don't like the Young Bucks. I don't like like more than half of the things that are putting AEW together. I don't actually like that much, but guess what? I still want AEW to succeed, even if it's a product that I don't like, because that's good for wrestling. That's good for everybody. If you're the most diehard hardcore WWE fan in the world, you of all people should be hoping that AEW succeeds. If you're a fan of other indies, you should be hoping AEW succeeds. Everyone should be hoping that this comes out well. I, I don't know. I just, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I, I, I don't even, I'm running out of vocabulary to articulate just how stupid and gross I find these people who I, I I can't. I'm done. I'm I feel like I had more, but I'm getting like I'm tripping over myself. So I'm I'm gonna take a minute and breathe. So so please save yeah. me, Mystic. Yeah, we reached a new low in the history of our doing podcasts together, which is I don't God knows, um, 2012 maybe. Yeah, I think um, so. seven seven years or so maybe. where I've read so many comments. And I couldn't bring any of them on air because, Ugh. like, it did hurt me, and it does bother me. Yeah. Because I've not been this close to something I can watch in almost 20 years mm. in this level. And I would never, I would never, I would never wish this on anybody. And the patterns of, like you said, of glee... Of, like, victory, of partying, of celebration. And the irony is, if I have to tell you, when I heard that they might be paying, I respected them more. Because God knows that that can't be what they expected, if that is a reality. And you know how fucking hard it is? And so here's an attitude that I don't understand it's that, oh my God, these guys are working harder than just about anyone to have a vision that is unlikely. And almost every era I've ever known, and even for decades that I was alive, we liked the underdog story. We liked for people to succeed in ways we hadn't imagined. But the glee seems to be 
you stepped out of line. There's this authoritarian, like, you stepped out of line, you need to be punished, and we want to see you brought down. And you need to be, you, 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 what, you need to be pushed back into obedience? I don't think for one second, if, the, if, if all five of these guys, or however many, had signed with WWE, that people would be saying these things about them. And the rumor is from the same fellow that, and again, if this all turns out to be bullshit, again, let this guy live. But man, he know, he does not need to have a name. And him and his source can go fuck themselves if this is not true because either you got it or you don't. And this is this is so particular. But what is supposedly happened is that the big money deal was on the table. Even though that's weird because in one vein they say, well, they were never going to get big money because they're unproven. But then in the narrative, the big money was on the table at the beginning. And then they found out that something like Ring of Honor helped produce All In and that the guys that helped do this and that were not really even part of what AEW is. And then Turner decided to step back and they got to pay for it and you got to prove yourself. Like if that really happened... I respect these people more than I ever have before because I am trying to – I spent this year trying to get a job, and it has just about wrecked me, the uncertainty of it. And these are people playing with, like, multi-million dollar investments, their names, their reputations, all these people that they put on. And to watch that rise and fall show up and disappear and they still put on a professional face all the time they're still creative they're still putting on multiple shows a week they're still telling stories if all of that's true i just respect them more but i hope and pray that it's not you know and why 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 can't we leave this alone because to me we're somewhere between they're either going to get a deal or they're going to get a deal so they're going to get a deal we don't need to know how and why. Like, there's no world where they get a deal with TNT or Showtime on any conditions that they're willing to sign that that's not Blockbuster. So, we're going to pause. If most people are true, within a month we're going to know one way or the other. But I wish, I just wish one human being who has ceased to be a human being... We'll just listen to a conversation like this and say, you know what? I want to be a human being again, and I haven't been being a human being, and I'm going to be a human being. You know what really gets me is that if this is true, and I have no idea if it is or not, and I don't know if I even really care, but if it is, it's so stupid because Fox is paying, what, a billion dollars to WWE or something for their content, and that's fine. Like, I don't begrudge them that. That's cool. I think everyone should pay a billion dollars for wrestling. I think wrestling's amazing, and I think wrestling should get a lot of money and a lot of respect. But, man, if you can pay the WWE a million dollars, or a billion dollars, for, like, their B-show, and then AEW, if they can't even get on the air without paying money to the Mm. TV network, that's so stupid. I, you know, that's just really stupid. Yeah, I do think that if that's true, that these people would be that probably all new people in twenty years are just as out of touch 
as they were 20 years ago when they were they were disgusted at, of the thought of wrestling on their show because no, it just it doesn't have a ring of truth because it, it, it's the story's either untrue or shows some idiocy and you know in this world it could be either it really could be that's the but sad thing either they did or did not sell out all in and you know either they did or did <laughs> oh man yeah you know either they did or did not get conversations with these companies based on the buzz they've created based on their social media based on the prospects and you can't tell me that these professional organizations can't work out a deal that you know whether it's we're only going to be together this long and then we'll renew if everything proves out and everybody's on the same side like it just it doesn't make sense to me my heart i'm not going to see a dime of this but my heart is with here's a here's a shocker as someone who calls himself a wrestling fan. My heart is with the TV company giving the wrestling company money, so the wrestling company can give the wrestlers money, and the wrestling can be on TV for the wrestling fans to enjoy. Mm. That's my take. As off base as that might be, that's my take. You know why? Because they're doing fucking awesome stuff. And I am also happy that the B show, SmackDown, gets a billion dollar deal. That sounds, my brain can't hardly get around that, but more power to you. Yeah. I'm not mad. Okay. Is that, you know, if you're listening, at the end of the show, Miss Van gives out contact pathways every week. Please, for the love of God, tell me why I am in the wrong here and I am seeing this wrong. I would, I would, not going to give you money because, like I said, I'm trying to find a job myself. <laughs> but, man, I'd come close. Tell me why everybody that is a wrestling fan of any company isn't saying exactly what we're saying right now. And why, when one person comes in any comment section to say the things we're talking about, that 99% of the people are not saying, get the fuck out of here. Okay, here's something um, from Cody Rhodes. He says on the Ross Report, I've jokingly said it's currently at about 5% WWE talent on our roster. Chris Jericho, Jim Ross, Cody Rhodes, a few others maybe. It's not the same. Having that equity with WWE is wonderful, talking about people who have been in WWE that might want to leave or leaving. But you've got to be able to cut it and meet the standards that people have for their actual bell-to-bell contest. That number might increase. There being the opportunity to exist for boys and girls to make more money here or there just to have options. If they can play, they're going to play. But right now, the recruitment is more about freshmen. I want to build a new class of guys. I, I don't want them to feel like they were set up and that was it. I want them to feel like they were set up to win and succeed. Right now, it's a lot of faces you've never seen and people you'll be surprised when you do see them. So that's Cody Rose's stance on what they are trying to deliver at this moment in time. I like it a lot. I think it's good business sense. It's good perception because the number one, not the number one, but one thing, you know, these stupid people also, you know, are always implying is, oh, it's just going to be TNA. They're just going to hire, you know, WWE cast offs and give them the big pushes. And, you know, you don't know anything anyway, so we're not listening to you. Uh, yeah, I love the idea of this. Um, I could definitely think of a couple WWE people who might be good over there. But, yeah, I think uh, it should definitely be 
very strongly a case per case thing. You know, only take the people who are really, really going to have value to you and don't just take them because, hey, maybe somebody will recognize their name from, you know, WWE. Because I got news for you. If you don't know, no WWE wrestler is a star right now, you know, with a couple of exceptions. They built this world where, like, it's all about the brand. They're not bringing the brand with them. So don't take them just for their name value. You know, take the people who are going to do you right. And then, yeah, build your own people from there. That's the best thing you can possibly do, I think. So I love that quote. Yeah, I saw a lot of comments. And so now we, we can, I'm going to try to go from a complete outrage to just mocking. You know, so we're taking a step down. We're lowering our gear here. But saw a lot of comments. They were talking about, yeah, AEW has no desire to um, appeal to a larger audience. They just are hiring indie darlings that nobody cares about. And that was funny to me for a couple of reasons. Number one is TNA is a shit show that nobody should watch because they hire people who used to work for WWE. AEW is a shit show because they hire people (laughs) who do not work for WWE. So that's fun. Try to win at that game. Yep. And then what the, I guess they don't have talent. They, they have indie darlings instead of WWE talent like Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles. You know, what are we talking about here? So they're doing the smart thing, and this could always get extreme. They could always go too far one way or the other. But what I feel like they're at least trying to do or espousing is we mostly won't develop talent. But we'll take WWE guys on a case-by-case basis when we say they fit our brand and we say they meet these standards. That's beautiful. That's the way to go. Yeah, be true to your words, Mr. Cody Rhodes, and I think you might be on to something. And here's another reason those comments are stupid and worthy of mocking. AEW is not even really signing very many, you know, quote-unquote indie darlings. Um, Mm. Their roster has been a lot of people that I only know of a little bit. Some people that I don't even know of at all. Uh, people, yeah, who uh, are out to make a reputation and not necessarily come in already having one. You know who does sign? Every fucking <laughs> indie darling who ever <laughs> drew a breath. You're thinking of NXT, my friend, yeah. which is a very fine brand in its own way. But you can't say, AEW, oh, you have this strategy of hiring indie darlings. That'll never work. And then turn around and start filleting, you know, NXT and Triple H or whoever you think is responsible for that. So, so please uh, get your brains in order. My God. That is beautiful because you have that expertise that I don't because I can't tell you who an indie darling is. And the funny thing is, I don't think there's a company more protected than NXT. And, again, here I am going to practice what I preach. I'm not mad at that. They have developed matches and feuds that I think are as good as you get in the last 20 years. Yeah. But they are being protected as far as fans. You're not going. To, you're not going to go anywhere and talk about NXT on any of these uh, spaces. And they're actually doing the thing that AEW is being blasted for uh, theoretically doing. Right. And it, the, I think the funniest part is your analysis means that Cody Rhodes isn't doing. You know what he's actually doing, which is the thing that I've suggested a few times that at least perhaps might be. He's doing the thing that he's been saying he wanted to do the whole time. Like, this has been his message straight out of his mouth, but everyone is like, okay, what, are, what, is, what is AEW doing? And Cuddy Rose is like, here's what we're doing. They're like, oh, God, we got to figure out what AEW is doing. Let's go with this idea. And Cuddy Rose comes back another interview. Here's what we're doing. Oh, God, what is AEW doing? We have to figure out what their motive is. And it's kind of on the record, kind of on the record. But you know what? Chase that shit. Run in circles. Have fun.
fun with it. Okay, my question to you is, yes. is, is there anyone not related to being the elite or road to double or nothing, anything, news or rumors or signings that you want to talk about? Uh, I'm pretty sure we got to Darby Allen last week, but I'll just say again, I'm very excited to have Darby Allen. Um, I don't know if I'd call him an indie darling, maybe like a very recent indie darling, sort of, um, but not even really. I don't know. I'm just excited about him. I want to do next week to convince me on him, so that'll be fun. Um, Excellent. As far as everyone else, yeah, I think they're all either mentioned or at least implied via being the elite. So as we go through that, I'll just uh, comment as we get there. All right. Thank you if you're listening, because we have cleared the worst of it. And there, like I said, there's nothing but – I've never had as many places I want to dive in as we're about to do. So mm. storylines are popping, pro wrestling. We're going to talk – about Kenny Omega tonight. We're going to talk. We're going to drill down where Kenny <laughs> Omega lives. Oh, I have no idea what that's going to look like. Here, I, this wasn't on the list of stuff we we're going to talk about. I'm really curious, though, and we can save this for later if you want, but you mentioned on LOP Forums, um, which is a great site, that everyone should go to and take part in the conversation, LOPforums.com. Uh, but you mentioned that... Uh, Different from last week, now you've kind of uh, learned some more stuff about Ring of Honor, and now you're very much more in kind of a fuck Ring of Honor kind of mood, which is funny, because that's where everybody else was last week, and you were pushing against it, so I'm really curious uh, what those reasons might have been, so do you want to talk about that at all a moment now? Yeah, I'll just say it really quick, I don't know if any of this is true, but it's about three reports in a row that I've seen different places that keeps piling on. Um, number one... And this is how much bullshit these rumors are, but they're like, as long as this isn't a work, and they're, then, oh, this is false, and this is true. But the first claim is they're not going to use Enzo and Cass because they got backlash for doing it, so that thing is just done. So that's number one. Then number two, they claim that the person who's kind of doing the booking has been kind of pushed out because they were pissed off about the reaction to Enzo and Cass and the reaction to the beautiful people, and Bully Ray and some others have been elevated, so there's a new power dynamic. And then this makes <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it's funny because everyone was blaming Bully Ray mm. for both of those things. So if he, uh, well, yeah, it just goes to show. And that's the tough thing again. It just ties back in all these quote unquote news reports. You can't have very good sources in an industry where the entire point is they're going to lie to you if you're yeah. not in the industry. Freak. So yeah, it's ridiculous. I'm sorry. What's number three? Number three is the most ridiculous. Like, you're laughing now. You're having – like, this one blows my fucking mind. Oh, boy. So the rumor is they're punishing people now who worked it all in because they're pissed off with AEW. And so they, they elevated Bully Gray, and they're punishing people who worked it all in. <laughs> like, what do you do with that? <sighs> but I don't even know that's not true because then the last thing that I heard is – the only reason Ring of Honor worked with All In is because they thought that it wouldn't go as well as it did and that the guys would kind of see, like, the grass is not greener and they really would be part of Ring of Honor and that they kind of feel screwed over a little bit and so on and so forth. So those are all the reports that came in. And then my uptake of that is, number one, I was actually the only person maybe on the planet, but I was interested in seeing what they were going to do with Enzo and Cass. And so if you're going to do it, have the courage of your fucking convictions and don't let someone like the mob tell you, don't do this. Just finish. I don't care if we well, them come out next week and get the shit beat out of them by the whole locker room, but don't just, don't just abort the thing because people said, no, don't do that. 
And then number two, I respect Ring of Honor, and I'm being sincere. I respect them for their desire to never grow and never be more than they are. <laughs> because TNA, you know, a lot of times, like, let's go to Monday night and face WWE. Maybe that's not the best idea. So it's always – Ring of Honor has always been a place I respect and have no interest in watching. And so I understand why people might have got offended with some of the stuff they were doing. But for me, who just got the Honor Club – I was actually excited to watch them because I was like, this is out of character and I have no idea what's about to happen. So let me tune in to see if I like it or not. But then just the felt sense kind of embodied part. I've already canceled my honor club because I saw the TV tapings and there was nothing that I wanted to watch. And I wanted to keep the honor club. Like I wanted to find a way to like it. And I never watched it one time after G1 and I canceled it. So it's just sad. Yeah. I think that's a really good point about Endzone Cast because honestly, I wasn't interested in them. You know, I thought it was stupid to bring them in. But anyone with a fucking quarter of a brain could have told you what pe- you know what the yeah. reaction would be if you brought in Enzo and Cast. So either whoever put that together was too stupid to know what people were gonna do about it. Or like you said, like I, they just like lost their nerve when the most predictable thing in the world yeah. happened. So yeah, it's like it's like late WCW levels of disorganization or something. I don't even know how to classify it. So yeah, it it's a mess. Ring of Honor is a company. I love I love to go back and watch like their stuff from the two thousands because there's yeah. this great well of talent. There's this energy and spirit about it. Uh, this whole decade, it's just. It's been exactly what you say. Like, it's a company that it never, it never wants to grow. It never wants to be anything. And I don't even – it probably sounds like I hate Ring of Honor or something. I don't. I've watched uh, quite a few bits and pieces of Ring of Honor over the years, but I just never get past that point because, you know, even if you might have, like, one great match or one great character here and there, I just can't commit week to week to a, a product like that. So, yeah. Um Cool. All right. I was interested, and now now I know, and uh, I think uh, you've got some very interesting thoughts about that. I do think. I wonder if they're going if they're legit feeling the heat that we've lost all these folks who kind of gave us some buzz, and maybe like who knows when every last report out of Madison Square Garden is Ring of uh, New Japan is amazing. They need to distance themselves from Ring of Honor. Like I think there's a possibility that people are panicking, mm. but. The thing I did like is I don't hate Ring of Honor. I want to want to watch it. But <laughs> I thought what was noble about Ring of Honor is they kind of kept their kept their head up and their chest out and they were what they were. So, like, the panicking thing, is, if it's true, is really a turnoff to me because right. I can understand why you might be pissed off and why you might fear that you might lose all the things that you were benefiting. You were benefiting from having that relationship with the guys there in AEW. You were benefiting from New Japan, and there's a chance eventually all of that will be gone. But... Man, to me, if if I was whether I'm watching it or not, but especially if I was watching it now of all times, I want to see stability and I want to see you keep your head up because if you're panicking and flipping out and I'm your wrestling fan, what the hell am I supposed to do? For sure, I'll just say on behalf of Ring of Honor, you know what I would like to see is uh, you've got a lot of interesting people on the roster. You just need to invest in these people. Put away your Matt Tavens. The way you're kind of like shock booking, you know, it didn't work out, whatever. Okay, you're backpedaling now. Invest in guys like PCO, like Jeff Cobb, like so many cool guys that you had 
on the G1 Supercar. People that everybody likes, but they didn't focus on them because you were you were off with your Matt Tavens and your your weird like shock booking and just <sighs> just just invest in the people that are going to grow you and not in the people that you think are too bland to go anywhere, you know, to abandon you. So that's that's my hope. Yeah, I think the last thing I will say is that the luckiest man in the room, because everybody had such a fit over Enzo and Cass and the beautiful people, the luckiest person in the room is Matt Taven, because <laughs> if you push beyond all the noise, what you're really getting is the fans are not big on this, and Ring of Honor is not confident about this. Like, he, this yeah. guy was not your choice. This guy was a fallback is what really comes out of that. For sure. So good luck, Matt Taven. Good luck, Ring of Honor. Um, I will watch you if you put on a show I want to watch, but I will not be subscribing monthly. Uh, props again for doing Madison Square Garden, but, man, if you do it again, have your shit together next time. Yes, most important thing. Okay, speaking of having your shit together, some really, really good signing, some really good storytelling that we're about to break down for you. I miss good storytelling, and I can tell when Cody Rhodes is at the heart of it, and he's at the heart of some of this. We're going to start with Being the Elite. Episode 147 is called Spellbound. We begin with Cody Rhodes talking to a man. Do you know this man? Do we know this man or do we not know this man? I do not know this man. Um, apart from, I guess he said in one of the librarian videos. He's okay, like I'm kind going... of uh, chewing the scenery a little bit. So Yes. We got a, a man with a laugh that's kind of like something when Doink the Clown meets Hugh Morris. Um, he can't be stable. He's wearing some bright clothes. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm kind of feeling this guy. I'm not mad at him yet. Like, I see some potential. My man Cody Rhodes sees some potential. And he tells this guy, I don't know about Matt, Nick, and Kenny. And then we cut to a video of, of them laughing in a way that I think is supposed to be mockingly back when they were watching this guy's video. Then we come back to Cody. But I think you're the guy. We're going to start you off tier one. One million dollars. And, you know, this guy, he's a little off his rocker, but he, he recognizes that, and he's quite excited, Miz fan, to be making a million dollars and to be the librarian for AEW. So excited. <laughs> and then we get this, uh, constant interruptions. Uh, the first one, I think, comes from Mike, uh, who, sometimes we've already talked about this. You cannot give away this kind of money. Then he says, uh, the guy didn't even bring his apple. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> and then tells him, you know, there's Chris Jericho. Uh, Mike runs off, and he says, yeah, like I was saying, tier one, $1.5 million. This librarian gets happier. Here comes um, who's my man Scorpio, Scorpio Sky, I think, yep. is next. Yep, with, that's right. With, um, yeah, you can't do this, man. What, what the hell are you doing? And then, you know, he leaves the room. Yeah, year one, tier one, $2 million. Cody wants to start him off. We, we get interrupted again this, from this time. Part, I have to mention, we also learned from this part, Cody says Scorpio Sky has a huge hog. And <laughs> I'll never get this obsession. A lot of wrestlers have it, talking about each other's hogs. So, yeah. hog meaning penis, if you didn't know. So, here we go. Yeah, are. there's a MLW, I'm not sure if it's within our 42 episodes or not, where the Heart Foundation answers your questions, and one of them apparently is about Davey Boy Smith Jr. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, so we also learned that. We're, we're giving you the whole show here, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and Kaz is very much, you know, letting him know what's what. Cody Rhodes um, ends up exiting the picture. Kaz tells 
this young man to take twenty dollars, puts it in the man's coat pocket, says this is as close as you're ever gonna get to a million dollars, get out of here, you're not gonna get hired, and then takes the twenty dollars back and walks away. <laughs> that, that killed me. That's probably the best I've ever liked Kazarian as a character was in this little bit here. Nice. Even if he's like a bit of a discount Daniels, but he's kinda of been that anyway, so Sorry. This is where though, this, if you want to enjoy these videos, this is the discourse sure. that you that you have to like. Is you know because there's humor in it that is that is there's somewhere between really smart humor and like so insidery that you know you got to be one of the click to enjoy it. <laughs> but you know, yeah there, yeah, yeah, there are a lot of spots where you say. It's almost like when you watch it when you're watching TV and you're like, oh my god, why didn't they do this? They've alluded to that. I wish they had done that. They do the thing that you wish they would do a lot of times, and that taking that twenty dollars right back out of the pocket. That's a real moment, and that was a. I agree, that was a good moment. It's also they're mocking some of these these ideas about how, you know these guys just throwing around money and Cody Rhodes seems like he is the man that has that issue. He I forgot in one of the videos he tried to give away a million dollars to somebody, but I forget who it was. Another yeah, one of these. Um, yeah, all the self-referential insider joke stuff. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't for me. But uh, this was uh, all right. Here's the interesting thing about this to me, though. Um, I guess this guy is called uh, Mr. Brickster. Um, and I'm going to read you a tweet, and then I'm going to tell you who tweeted it. The tweet is, uh, I invite and encourage everyone to follow my good friend, Mr. Brickster, on his journey to become a wrestling superstar. Hashtag brick by brick. Do you want to take a guess at who tweeted that out? I have no idea. He is the patron saint of WCW The Legacy Series, Lex Luger, tweeting that out. So, yeah, somehow this guy is connected to Lex Luger. I would never have guessed that. but uh, This librarian guy? Cool. Yeah, the librarian guy. Well, here's what I'm telling you. I'm... <laughs> I just got my courage back. I apologize. I am winded from this episode already. But I <laughs> like this guy from the moment I saw him. I'm a fan of his. And I'm going to go ahead and give away a spoiler, even though it's in my notes at the end of the show. Here's how good AEW is at marketing. Fucking TNT. Open your ears and listen up. I would put money down right now to watch Librarian versus Librarian. <laughs> And we'll get to that by the end of the show. But I honestly would put money down to see that match because I it's just so symbolic of everything. That Cody Rhodes in every fucking situation is over here liking this, seeing this, promoting this. And the rest of that crew is off somewhere else promoting the exact opposite thing for the exact same reason. So put Cody's librarian versus Matt and Christopher Daniels' librarian, who we'll get to before we before we're done. And men let them go at it for this for this um infamous title that no one would want, but now we could have guys fighting for. <laughs> you know that match will definitely include a shush off, right? Yeah, uh, I know. Okay with that. <laughs> the young bucks will probably run into a company yet. Oh. You know, one on each side. It'll be the 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 shush equivalent of a super kick. Oh man. No, they'll yeah. probably run in and they'll just end up super kicking both guys and posing yeah. because the librarian gimmick is stupid. I don't know. That's, <laughs> we'll see. that's the day they become Triple H. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. You joke and not joke, and I acknowledge that could happen. And I acknowledge last time we talked about Matt and Nick, they were deep, deep on the shit list. But I'm going to tell you something. 
Sometimes if I ever like them, it's a non-wrestling segment where they're talking about something <laughs> like the next one because this has been buried because it's been out a few days, but this is somewhat of a big deal between you know working with AEW and being signed full-time, and we got another signing announced now. Yeah, uh, I want to agree that I probably like the Young Bucks best when they're being uh, more genuine. And that's true in their wrestling as well, because I've seen them wrestle matches, which are much more like traditional tag matches, and I think they can be very good at them. Uh, it's just that they're bread and butter, and I get that, because that's not kind of what they got famous yeah. for. But just the same, yeah, here they're very genuine. They talk about kind of uh, some of their history. They're talking particularly about uh, Chima and his uh, relationship to Dragon Gate and how he uh, worked PWG many years ago and kind of brought the Young Bucks over to work Dragon Gate, which was uh, their biggest exposure by far at that time because, uh, you know, PWG is kind of like known now as like the super indie, but it did not really have that visibility in the 2000s because wrestling did not have that visibility. It was much Mm. harder. You know, you have to like order the DVDs and crap, and it's like who could even imagine that now? Yeah. Uh, Except PWG fans because you still kind of have to do that. It's ridiculous. But um, that aside, uh, this was very cool. Yeah, I like this little bit. They have signed Chima to be a full-time wrestler. I don't know how that works with his OWE project. I don't know what the logistics of all that are, but it's cool. Chima, as I've talked about, um, is probably the biggest non-New Japan star in Japan. Mm. Um, and it's weird for it's it's weird for me to, in a way, to think of the Bucks being like, oh yeah, like we're returning the favor, we're giving a big booking to Chima now because like. Over the course of their career, Chima, you know, he's been on top of Dragon Gate, and they do, like, 10K shows, you know, like, once a year, at least. And they do a lot of, like, 5, 6, 7K shows, 8, 9, you know, all that, all through the year. Uh, whereas, you know, the Young Bucks, for most of their career, they're, they're performing in front of pretty small crowds, you know. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's so surreal now that they're in a position to, like, do this yeah. favor for Chima. But it's great that they think of him and they have that kind of gratitude, that respect. That's really cool. I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. And they, they tried to, you know, they say, we're, now we have a little power. So they try to understand it. But at the same time, it's not only, you know, potential platforms, which we've talked enough about for today, but it's also, you know, the money that he's going to make and just the exposure is, it's, it's a really cool thing. Did you see the picture with Pac when they yeah. were starting out? Oh yeah. Yeah. All ears. Pac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you wouldn't have liked him half as much if you'd seen him uh, before. Um, so, yeah, Pac goes way back with with the Bucks and with Chima, so that's very cool. Also, that's a that's a hell of a story in that picture. Yeah. Hell of hell of a story in that story, and we know we know this. If we're getting this deal, we're gonna get we're gonna get a lot of stars that we haven't seen or haven't seen much of through this, and this is. As someone who, you know, grew up in WCW and the thing, it's a crime, uh, I think, to ever say WCW did anything well. But they introduced a lot of people to American wrestling, and I hope we get some of this. It's more difficult to do that today, but I hope that we get some of that from AEW. Yeah, and honestly, it's easier than you think. Um, uh, all the time, I have a guy, like Colt Icon, just asked me about some Japanese wrestler I had never heard of the other day. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> the well is so deep there and everywhere that uh you can you can keep finding people and they'll be like really fucking great quality people sometimes and you might just never heard of them no matter how deep you've been digging so 
there's a lot of talent out there that can be discovered that can be brought over. And I think that is super awesome. I know that from working with you because that to me is somewhat your mission statement. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I specifically seek out wrestling that I, I've never seen before. Wrestlers I've never seen before. So, you know, it's great that you can just keep going on that journey almost infinitely. Honestly, it's, it's so cool. I was very proud of myself because in the list, the cult icon gave you the one of the guys he either hadn't seen much um, was Peter Avalon, and I've seen him maybe three times. So I was Have quite you seen proud Peter of Peter Avalon. I meant to ask you that. I've watched him. He um, I've watched him in NWA mostly. So I watched uh, him versus Tim Storm. Am I getting that name right? You got it. Yeah. Yeah, it's Tim Storm. He wrestled Cody. Uh, he was in a program with Cody Rhodes when Cody Rhodes was NWA champion. So. Peter Avalon? I didn't know that. That's cool. Good for him. I like Peter Avalon. I don't think he's ever going to be your world champion, but man, you need good supporting players like Peter Avalon, and he, he can really do some good stuff. I agree. I agree. Uh, he can get better. He can always get better, but when I saw him, it was almost like this is a third-tier antagonistic heel, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but I mean that in a on the level that he's on he fulfills that role to a T. I don't know. Can he climb the next level, next level? I don't know. But also you don't really have to because, mm-hmm. you know, he's already signed, which we'll get to. And it's every level, you know, yeah. I'm, he's not an MJF yet to me, you know, cause image to me, but MJ, <laughs> MJF, I hope is not always going to be what MJF is right now. You know, there's room to climb, but both of them execute what they're trying to execute the way they're supposed to execute it. Uh And I have such respect always for guys who take literally anything you give them and they, they, Mm. they not only make it work, they make it shine. I first saw Peter Avalon when he was brought into TNA for a while and he was like a pure, like pathetic jobber. Like the whole Mm. point is that he was like getting beaten up and man, he, he was so great. I never forgot him. And I looked for him everywhere like after that i've been seeking him out ever since for years now so yeah man you you get any role and if you hit it out of the park like that i'm gonna be a fan for life probably because i love people like that yeah and this is again we have given you a million honest reasons why we may not watch AEW, (laughs) but this is why i want to succeed because as hard as he was working that's one maybe that's somewhere to start too Every time I saw him, he was working his ass off at what he was doing. And so would I rather somebody do that forever in a small gymnasium for whatever amount of money they can get or to make like a respectable living shining in a promotion that I may or may not watch? It's always going to be the second one. So we're going to see him. I I kept alluding to it, but we will end this video in a bit, and and we're going to end it with Peter Avalon. So. You know, the world is coming full circle. Uh, SCU wants $1,000 for a picture of all of them, $500 for a shirt. They got they got bills to pay, and people walking away not paying that money, Miss Man. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, they got, they got lots of things to buy. They got to buy an Xbox every day. They got to buy day. every expensive thing. Uh, I think my favorite thing about these, um, and I ever since they became the addiction with Daniels and Kazarian, I've liked their promos. I think the most fun thing is they're clearly just at, I don't know what con they were at or what show or whatever. Yeah. And they're just riffing like they, like nobody sat down or like, Oh, let's make a script of what we're going to say. No, they're just out there. They're just having fun. 
and they are funny. Like, I like SCU. They can be a little obnoxious at times to me, but mostly I just have fun watching them, and I think uh, it's fun to just do a segment like that. Yeah, they're also having fun, yeah. which is nice. Yeah. And so uh, I think Christopher Daniels has to buy an Xbox every day for a month for his children. Um, what's, and just to kind of improv, I think the uh, Scorpio Sky you know, says, plus all my rats, and that just feels like it's thrown in there at the end. <laughs> and, like, you get the impression that the old fellas don't, you know, they, they're not even about that anymore. Like, they don't even know what he's talking about, but he's he's still got a little bit of that life in him, and he's he's off doing that thing. And then here we go. We get um, Shark Boy. We got a lot of cameos on this. I hope we caught all of them. And these guys have changed. I don't know what the hell this means, but it's in every fucking, every time. Yeah. So, Joey Ryan. Joey Ryan um, is dealing with the fact that he keeps getting beat up all the time. And also the fact that um, his uh, partner has left him. So, here we get... Oh, I never even... I. I didn't put that together this whole time, but yeah, they're talking about Candice LeRae, who used to be his tag team partner. Yeah. Okay, never mind. I should have known that. So. And she's going, and they keep asking about her, whatever happened to that blonde girl, like everyone asked. Mick Foley asked this week, so yeah. there's that. Um, And then we hear, um, Joey, you really need to um, know how to defend yourself, and at first it looks like the doll of his former partner is talking. Is this Rosemary? It's Allie. Oh, it's Allie. Where's Rosemary in this? She She's one of the people who asks him. Okay. Uh, she's the one with the kind of skull makeup on and okay. stuff. Yeah. I don't know her, but I know the comment section was very happy with her appearance. So. Hey, I like her a lot. I think she's committed to Impact at the moment, but maybe in the future. I would love to see her come on. She and Allie, they work very closely together, so there's a good chance it could happen. Okay. We get a fight for the Fallen pre-sale code, and then... I think currently on the card, uh, we got Shima versus Kenny Omega. Yeah. And we got Brandy Rhodes versus Allie, which we will talk about later in the show. So that, you know, not bad. Not bad so far. Yeah, plus, uh, what is it? The Young Bucks and somebody. Ver- Young Bucks and Adam Page versus Pac and. Um, the or is that the other thing? Am I mixing them up? I, yeah, that's, I, that's why I didn't write it down. Cause I'm I couldn't thinking find about it, Fighter Fest, I think. I, so, yeah. I, I feel like that should be. Fight for the Fallen, but this is this is why they made that whole angle with um, Kenny Omega needing to market these things because they're so close together and they're both in Florida and they said it's gonna be hard to keep them apart and it really is. Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, I should probably know better, but um, but I don't. So here we are. Okay, so um, we got a referee talking to MJF and MJF lets him know that he. <laughs> Can I just say again, MJF? Why why can't the series just be being MJF? And yes. it's just all MJF segments, because that, that would actually be my favorite thing. This is the reason we're doing Being the Elite this week, because... <laughs> Amen, buddy. This is buried in the middle, and I knew it was somewhere, and I was like, there's no way we can miss this. Um, we, we're about to have a run-in, which I want to have a real conversation about, so... Mm. Um, he tells the referee that he's way too ugly uh, for AEW TV, and that he's cross-eyed, and then please don't cry about it. Um, trying to console him. Life's hard for everyone who's not MJF, it seems. Then we got Sammy, who nobody likes. And you know what? Finally, this piece of shit, he might have been granted uh, what Adam and Eve were granted when they ate of the uh, tree, the, the apple from the tree of the garden of, of, of the knowledge of good and evil. He might have some fucking awareness. 
for the first time in the history of AEW because he comes up and says he has a feeling that Cody doesn't like him. And this is where it gets so good. We get a lot of names, more than twice at least, maybe more, as Cody's best friend, says MJF, and also kind of creating a Dwight Schrute um, executive title, the junior executive. So here we're seeing something that we haven't seen before, which is whether it ever plays out or not. MJF seems to be invested in it, being able to um, wield some of the power that comes with being Cody's son slash friend slash whatever. And I have some thoughts on Cody Rhodes tonight, but we'll get to that. But then uh, he drives this guy away, lets him know, you know what? I'll talk to him. As his best friend, I'll talk to him. Um, and then he puts a sign on his back and sends him off into the world to get attacked, get kicked, get bothered, whatever. And then he backs away. And you know what? I'm just going to say, if you're recording a video, especially if you're a heel, don't walk backward because it's probably not good for you. But he does it anyway. And Miss Van, he backs into one Darby Allen. He does. Darby Allen is there. He's got his uh, skull paint on, the half his face like he does. MJF tries the same trick, but Darby Allen, he's nobody's fool. He takes the sign and he eats a piece of it to uh, disturb MJF. And hey, I got to say, it's successful. MJF is a little bit disturbed by this weird man who is uh, confronting him. So he might think twice before doing that again. I want to see MJF and Darby Allen wrestle, so I hope that happens in the future. Absolutely. His whole tone of voice changes. He says, oh, that, that that's intense when he uh, eats the paper. And that's something you should watch for. This man, not only his storytelling, not only his character investment, but MJF's tones, how many times did they change and for what particular reasons? The man knows what he's doing. Here's where Darby Allen is. I'm not going to be a Darby Allen fan until he wins me over. But I'm going to tell you something about Darby Allen. Darby Allen is the first person, I think, in the history of the show where I went out and researched him before there was a convince me. So I went to watch his matches and his promos just off my own interest. So we're getting somewhere there. Darby Allen has never really cared about being alive, so we can put him in um, the Joey Janela category, apparently. He doesn't care if he dies. And is really just in it. Um, he's a very realist. Um, very CM Punk style. A little bit of a nihilist. Uh, another person who doesn't care. Who probably does care. But at the same time. When you got him as a kind of a baby face. Who doesn't, doesn't emote. And you got this. Tr- despite every fucking joke and facade. MJF somewhere under there is a fucking tryhard. And he's dancing, and he's and he's trying, and he backs into somebody who is going to dance for nobody. And you just look at MJF and Darby Allen in a room, and you think, I'm not going to be comfortable as long as that personality is in this room. And the other personality thinks, I'm not going to be comfortable as long as that personality is in the room. Yeah. And when you got that, you got everything you need. Add on to it. As MJF says, as a future star to a potential future star, you got two people hungry, two people young, two people who, in theory, could own a million dollar, multi million dollar, or billion dollar business in the future if they're the one that succeeds and they're staring face to face at each other. There's so much potential if they want to go here. Um, 
MJF wants to go to the bathroom to escape. Darby Allen is more than welcome to go with him. Um, and he says, no, nah, man, I got to take a shit. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to smell really bad. And he runs away. <laughs> he runs away. This, this is a man, if you watch these videos, with his own cleverness, his own humor. It's Jim J.F. that comes into the locker room and, like, disturbs everyone. Like, bothers them. Makes them move around uncomfortably. And Darby Allen, without almost saying a word, sent MJF running off screen. So, big introduction. When big. they, um, they, you've mentioned before that they, they've said sometimes that, well, maybe our shows are going to be a little bit more like our internet videos. Uh, in some ways, I really hope that isn't true. If it is true, these are the kind of segments that I want to see on television because here you have a segment that's really only a couple minutes, but it really does a lot to establish the character of three people. And these three people have like radically different characters. You have Sammy Guevara, who's kind of clueless, kind of unlikable, kind of worried about it now. Um, you know, he's uh, portrayed as being a little bit gullible also, trusted MJF and uh, ended up paying for it. You got MJF, and man, what do I even have to say about this guy? He establishes himself every second he's on the screen. It's just a gift that he has. And then, yeah, you got Darby Allen, and, uh, you know, we, we've criticized a guy like Sammy Callahan for doing, like, the not caring thing and maybe not really conveying that very well. But here, Darby Allen, who really hardly says anything, conveys it, like, a hundred times more than, than any, like, <sighs> Sammy Callahan promo that we have seen at least. Um, so yeah, you got three really distinct personalities doing really distinct things that could easily tie into things they do in the future, or they could just stand alone as kind of character establishing moments. It, it's very cool. I like segments like this a whole lot. Uh, definitely the highlight of this show was this segment here. I like how you expanded that because yeah, three people, three very different personalities and all of this is tied to history. This is a very brief company. But it's all about history. Sammy knows the encounter he had with Cody Rhodes. MJF knows all the encounters he's had with Cody Rhodes. So mm -hmm. these guys remember their history, which is good. And you're right. Because I both don't want to see that, like you said, when they say it's going to be partly like this. But also, if it's done well, I might like it better than anything in the world if they do it right. Right, right. You know, it's a big, exactly. big gamble. But you know why this is so fucking good? Because out of this... Like you said, three things could happen out of this. Um, they all could go their separate ways, and they're all better for this because we all got to know them better. Number two, we could start a program between, let's say, Darby Allen and MJF, and that is good stuff. Number three, they might not see each other for six months, and if they're smart and they do it right and they're going to be my best friends, one day, whether you're continuing it or not, MJF's just going to walk into a room to molest all the people with his humor and his, his ego, and guess who's going to be standing back there? It's going to be Darby Allen, and he's not even going to say a word about it, but he's going to turn around and walk out of the room. So somewhere, it's going to matter. And so I don't, I think Darby Allen's a problem because you're not just because you have a sober outlook on the world and you see everything in this dry way, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily more honest and more real, but there is something about the world that Darby Allen sees the MJF, all this personality, all this money, all this bullshit is a way of not having to see that part of life. Mm. And so I think 
that this man is a very bad reminder. And this is getting some, this is going to get some deep, some depth psychology. But I think Darby Allen reminds MJF in his unconscious that he's going to die one day. And his money's not going to change that. And his gimmick's not going to change that. And his career's not going to change that. And all his bullshit's not going to change that. Um, I think Darby Allen probably does things, probably hits MJF at a place that MJF is buried a long time ago. And MJF ain't got time for that. Mm. So, One of the first things, we're talking about two things for Darby Allen here, and then we can move on. One of the first things that sold me on Darby Allen, the first match I ever watched him before, he did a promo. The match was going to be against Pentagon Jr., who, as you mm. know, is one of my favorite people in the world. And what he said is, Pentagon, you always say that you're having no fear. Sarah Miedo, all the time. You're saying it so much that now it's a catchphrase. I need you to show me that you have no fear. Don't tell me. Don't stand there saying it over and over again. Show me that you have no fear. Mm. That is a man who will see through what you say to what you do. And if he sees something that is not matching up he's gonna call you on it and he won't be afraid to do it and he doesn't care you you know he doesn't have to tell you he doesn't care because you know because he just went up and challenged a guy who breaks people's arms he called him on what he thinks is bullshit yeah we i mean we talked about it more from the non-storyline point of view that the pentagon we see in the united states but this is the same thing is there was a time where maybe he says it once or twice and he said it like a possessed man worshiping a master before he broke people's arms. And now, you know, it's every other sentence. He says it while he's dancing with people. He says it while he's being a clown. He says it while he's distracting himself in the world. And so, man, if, if this man can be the man whose presence cuts through your bullshit, then he should just be kept in every room just for that purpose. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Second thing about Darby Allen. Another thing that caught me uh, about him right away is one of his big moves is to uh, jump off the top rope backwards, sometimes to the floor, and not even look, not once, where he is going. Um, He will will guesstimate where you are and simply just launch himself. If you can have, if you can match up even the moves you do in the ring to what your character is, then man, you know, I'm going to be on board with you, honestly, because that is a man who doesn't care. If you are leaping off backwards from the top rope to the floor and you're not even bothering to look where you're going, then you're not a gimmick. You are a full fledged character. You are living what you say. You are walking what you talk. Yeah, absolutely. I watched him in an interview with Alicia A and I can't remember if it's, his, if, if it's his uncle or what the story is, but he claims that he was riding, maybe as a child, maybe as a teenager, I don't remember when, um, with someone, a parental figure, who was driving drunk, and according to the story, I think died in the car accident. Mm. And this is where the half-face mask uh, comes in, because he said that realizing that what had happened, like at least half of him died, like his belief in other human beings, his belief in life meaning anything, his belief in trusting, whatever you want to call it, like half of him at least died, and that's where like the half face, according to him, comes from. Mm. And so line that up with a man who jumps without looking, and I, I would say I believe you. I believe he does. 
So again, and again, just you know, this is what I like about different dispositions. We don't talk enough about that anymore. The internal, the intangibles, but you know, Ms. Van himself is someone who, for the most part, will try to rise above a lot of the negativity. I am someone who, despite wanting to have nothing to do with it, I get dragged down because I'm worried about what are the patterns here? What is it going to mean? What is, what is, what is going to happen? And, you know, there are potential moments where you can move a little bit out of your disposition, I think, in life, but I also think somewhere you have to say, okay, I know what my disposition is and I have to somewhat live out of it. Yeah. I got to make the best of it. And I think this is a man who's making the best of the worst or the worst of the best, however you want to say it. And the more we talk about him, the more my biggest, if I was MJF, just never be in a room with him again. <laughs> I, I think he's yeah. good. A man yeah. like MJF, um, for all his bluster, this is a man who who looks before he does anything. You know, he's always calculating his yeah. advantage. And uh, you really couldn't find a better opposite, I think. This is why the MJF Joey Janela like conflicts have been so compelling, and we're going to touch on that uh, a little bit um, in one of these videos, I think. Yes. Yeah. So, and it's been one of my favorite um, potential feuds. Doesn't really happen yet, but in MLW that we've been watching, so it's a similar kind of thing, but maybe even more so, you know, because Joey Janela. Uh, he doesn't care if he dies, but like on the way to dying, he's going to be very presentational about it. Yes. So he cares about something. Darby Allen, I don't know if he cares about anything, you know. So it, it's maybe even more dangerous. I think they're very similar. I think that the Darby Allen one will be based on fear. I think the Joey Janela one, both ways, is based on disgust. <laughs> yeah, I like it. They 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 are disgusted with each other, and it's cross promotional, and that's also really really beautiful. Yeah. So. Matt Jackson and uh, Christopher Daniels. Matt Jackson is just flipping out. Like we already know, he's um, hearing voices. He's uh, having issues, but now he's getting paranoid. He can't handle the position he's in. He can't handle the responsibility. Lord knows if all that is going to lead eventually to uh, maybe his taking Jericho's phone call more seriously than Nick does. Who the hell knows? But Christopher Daniels tries to talk him down, and for that effort. Matt Jackson tries to put the work of finding a librarian on Christopher Daniels, even though that's not Christopher Daniels' role. They stand up, they fight, they yell at each other, and around the corner, around the curtain, comes Peter Avalon, telling them, we can hear you on the other side, you need to be quiet, and then he shushes them. And in that moment, Ms. Fan, they have found their librarian. Either that, or they're going to go off and have a three-way. <laughs> <laughs> It was like almost a romantic like realization. So yes, seemingly we may have two librarians here. Um, yeah, I'll just say again, big fan of Peter Avalon. I already talked about that. Um, if they're bringing him on, then that's a great supporting player to have, and I think that's a really good choice. Yeah, and if you are interested in the Young Bucks and you're interested in the tag team division, we have a major bonus on the other side of the kind of credits. Uh, Nick and Matt are talking in the back, and they want to hire two new teams. One of them from the East Coast and one of them a former rival. Um, one of these, according to the comment sections, I think is Super Smash Brothers. Uh, yep, that is correct. I have never heard of these people, but the comment section was very excited about them. Uh, yeah, that's the team that I'm actually excited about as well. Um, it's a team from Canada. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't even know how to really explain them, I guess, very well. Um, 
they're good. I like them. <laughs> we'll do a convince me when they're officially announced, and uh, you can make your own conclusions. Um, I don't know if you'll be a fan of all they do. They they do do some comedy, but they also uh, can play it straight and do a very good job. So uh, any way they want to come in and play it, I'll be interested. We'll just have to see how it goes. But uh, it is very cool because I know that they've been struggling to get work in the United States ever since kind of became more difficult to, to travel between Canada and America mm. and, uh, you know, kind of get work in both places. This is going to help them out a lot. Um, so very cool that they're able to do that. Very nice. And then we got um, another division because I think Nick is the one who wants – I might be getting this backward, I mean, but the second team, I hire one of our greatest rivals – and Matt, I want to say, is against it. And then one of them says to the other one, if you still believe we're the best tag team in the world, then this is what we would, you would want to do this. Uh, they place the phone down, and we see an image of people on the phone. Do we know who this is? Uh, I couldn't catch it. I couldn't okay. make it out. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to wait for more information. I'm sure I could dig it up. I'm sure there are people doing screenshots and, like, analyzing everything, but I'm, I'm not invested quite on that level so i'm just gonna wait and see okay so possibly they are on their way as well whoever it is is one of the greatest rivals to the young bucks it probably i don't know if it's what it showed but when they're talking about their rivals yeah they're talking about the super smash brothers because they they fought quite a bit in pwg and some other places okay so then i think the other one might be off the east coast yeah, that one I'm not familiar with, but a cult icon, I think, in the forums uh, said it was a team called Private Party, Mark Quinn and Isaiah Cassidy. I don't mm. really know them at all, but I guess we'll uh, see how they do. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. That gives me no indication of what they are or what they're about. <laughs> me neither, We're good. so we'll find out. They need tag teams to go around. Because I, I am more traditional of the two of us, and I, I won't mind. Unless... Someone is proving it and killing it. I expect my world champion to be somewhere towards the top of the card. Mm-hmm. And so if you kill it and you take that place, I'm not going to be mad at you. But I don't want to see tag team wrestling main event unless tag team wrestling deserves the main event. Mm-hmm. So you need to hire some folks who got like four tag teams or three. And it's a wrestling company. So I am on board for the hiring of new tag teams. And let's see what Let's see what happens. Let's get enough tag teams that we can break up this uh, Lucha Brothers team. <laughs> yes, I like it. Yeah, so we move to the show that belongs to one Cody Rhodes. It is the road to double or nothing. It is episode 12. And of all fucking people in the world, we begin with Joey Janela smoking a cigarette. <laughs> he is a... Yeah. I didn't know he was supposed to be injured. I don't keep up. Maybe... You know, yeah, last year he did get a pretty serious injury that I think was his leg or his hip or something. I don't know. He was out for quite a while. Just came back WrestleMania weekend, I think. So a uh, very recent return for Joey Janela. Okay, so he says uh, people are wondering if he's a hundred. He'll be if he'll be a hundred percent by double or nothing. He says I'm a hundred percent now. You saw what I did with Adam Page. This is double or nothing. This time I might die. So that's what we get. <laughs> Uh, he also said he doesn't care if he does die because that will make him uh, an even bigger legend. Um, and see, I kind of actually believe him when he says this. Like, he convinces me with the way he talks about it. I, I can buy into this mindset. That That's part of what sets him apart from other people who might uh, try to follow this same path. 
Yeah, there were people in the comment section who definitely um, were talking about they could see losing him young, and that they hope that that's not the case. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I actually have a story to tell because God knows my history of all things. What a world that we live in when we're doing this series, which we could have not predict this six months ago, nope. and yet my life 13 years ago came knocking on my door while watching this video, Ms. Fan. Mm. Tell me. In, in the next segment, Cody Rhodes um, is with Diamond Dallas Page and Dylan, who apparently wrestles as Sunny Days. He's also a video editor, and he looks at Dusty Rhodes. He said, I know when I was going to do it, but I might as well do it now. And he announces that Sunny Days, Dylan, will be in the Battle Royal um, at Double or Nothing. And I'll take a minute in just a moment to talk about how fucking amazing every chance we need to get. I'll just go ahead and read this. So Dusty helped raise DDP, who helped raise Cody, who all together are helping to raise the professional wrestling world. I love these human beings. Yeah. But in 2006, uh, when before DDPY, before... Blah, blah, blah. We had uh, the first incarnation, I think, Yoga for Regular Guys. It was a book, no DVDs, no media. And 2006, I emailed Diamond Dallas Page, and I was like, you know, I would like to try this out, and blah, blah, blah. And he emails me back. And then we talk on the phone one or two times. What? I didn't know that. Have I not told you that? No! How could you never bring that up? Oh, my God. I thought I told you, so I was trying to rush through that. Yeah, I talked to Diamond Dallas, and at the time, I did it for like six months or maybe more. And I got into, like, really good shape. My flexibility was ridiculous at the time. And they wanted me to come to Georgia and, like, record. They were first first starting to record stuff, and they wanted me to be one of the people because I was one of the people that, you know, had been using it. And I was on the MySpace community. And, you know, Diamond Dallas, it was still very new, but Diamond Dallas introduced another guy who, a young, young, young man who was, you know, out of shape and who was going through a lot named Dylan, who he was going to try to help. And so I was in a very small MySpace community with Diamond Dallas and Dylan wow. back then. One of the photos that we see in this video looks like from that MySpace era. And so I've not heard about Dylan, but like we were all in this little community, and apparently Dylan never left it. Dylan stayed in it, and he's fought his physical health, his mental health. He tells us two and a half years ago he thought about committing suicide, so... This is very real shit, but I watched Dylan's videos when Dylan started because I was doing it too, and I had a chance to go there, and at the time, I, I learned a lot when I went to school because my parents, I've, I've talked about this many, a little bit, my parents never made it to high school, I was a high school dropout, we really did not know how the world worked, we thought that, that you're, you're either born into something successful or you're born outside of it. We're outside of it. We didn't see other human beings as like as flawed as we are. We saw them as connected, as more perfect. And so like when I talked to Diamond Dallas Page, he would always be trying to encourage me. But what was really making me feel like is I'm going to fail this man. Like I'm not going to live up to his standard. I'm not going to do good enough. I'm not going to be good enough. And so when he invited me to come there, I, you know, all I could think about is somehow I'm going to disappoint this man. And that's kind of how I just kind of cut out of the community because, like, I didn't want to be a disappointment. 
And so then 13 years later, I'm covering this weekly on a podcast and Diamond Dallas and Dylan pop up. Like, what the fucking, like, what in the world is that? And I don't know if he'll ever be a you know a good wrestler, but this is again, Diamond Dallas Page saves life lives for a living. Like he he legit saves lives for a living. That man cares. That man was legit moved when Dylan got this opportunity. Diamond Dallas Page was somebody that was there for Cody Rhodes when Cody Rhodes was not Cody Rhodes, and he did it because what uh, Dusty Rhodes did for him. And this whole story is beautiful. And this whole story is hopeful. And, like, I know now I've been a teacher. Like, I have mentored so many people. And the advice I give them, like, they're so young. And I never saw myself as young and able to become something. My life has always played out. So I'm always challenging them. Take risks. Like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Like, push those boundaries. I try to teach them that you have narratives that tell you what you are, and you can't even see what those narratives are. And until you see those narratives, you can't denounce them. You can't step outside of them. You can't expand them. And all we're trying to do and all I'm trying to do is get them to see society or my family or myself have placed the narratives here. And there are ways to expand them or step outside of them. And I did not know that then, and I do know that now. And I function a lot better now because I know that. And if I had met Diamond Dallas when I knew that, that would have been a hell of a thing. But man, that man scared the fuck out of me. Was like, <laughs> pe- back then, man, when people were positive to me, I ran the other way. But obviously, because Dylan is not in the best of shape. So like this guy never perfected, I've got some air quotes, but never perfected that world. But he stayed in it. Yeah. Now he's editing videos. Now he's in the Battle Royal. And my hat is off to him because God only knows. Like, if I stay in that world, you know, the man's editing videos for, you know, you don't know, like, you don't know back then when when you don't know anything, and I didn't know anything, that win, lose, or draw, you can't do a better thing in the world than to have Diamond Dallas in any way in your life. And so... I'm not the kind of person, I don't get mad, I don't get envious, I, like... But I saw a different trajectory, like a multiverse moment where someone like Dylan and I both at the same time, like we're trying to better ourselves here. We got some issues we're trying to deal with. We both end up in the same little MySpace community. And then 13 years later, this man emerges. And I'm so glad that he overcame. And I hope he's able to keep doing that because he says two and a half years ago, I want to end my life. Now I'm wrestling. I'm in a battle royal at MGM. And... This last thing I'll say, then Cody Rhodes is sitting there like he's an 85-year-old man giving back to the business, you know, talking about what it's like to put these guys on. And whether they make it or don't make it, they will always have had their dream. They will always have had their opportunity. So Cody Rhodes has already become what Diamond Dallas is, and Diamond Dallas became what Dusty Rhodes is in that that regard. Uh, Last thing Dylan says. People don't get opportunities like this. They don't get to follow their dreams. And no matter what comes of this or doesn't, that was a feel-good moment. It was a strange moment. And my hat's off to magicians in this world. Diamond Dallas is a magician. Cody Rhodes is a magician. If you find a magician who can transform you, themselves, and reality, 
like let that magician be in your life because magicians are few and far between and magicians are freaking awesome. What a cool story. I, I didn't know any of that and that's all cool and especially cool. Yeah. That this guy, uh, is able to do all those things. What, what a weird world it is. Um, maybe there's an alternate path out there. Where we're going to be, uh, seeing, uh, you know, the, the wrestling mystic in the, the double or nothing battle Royal. <laughs> Who the hell I have to throw know? me under the over the bottom rope <laughs> <laughs> or something, but yeah, no, it's a very cool story and it's like ten times cooler now. So thank you for sharing that. That's really incredible. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for listening, and Miss Van, and thank you if you're listening at home. Thank you for listening because it's just you know this is cool because this is what AEW claims to be, and and they're trying to again live it, um, which makes the next segment all the more uncomfortable because. We have Brandy Rhodes in character, of course, we're speaking now. Um, very much living down to the um, things that she said. This is a great segment in my mind because she calls Allie and she says, you know what? We've never wrestled. Um, I kind of want to wrestle you. And Allie's like, yeah, this is great. Um, this isn't really, this isn't about what we talked about the other day, is it? Oh, no, no, this is not what we talked about. I just thought we should wrestle. Turns around, thinks she's off camera, calls another friend, wants her to be there, and see that personal issue. I'm dealing with that personal issue I told you about. Yeah. Uh, I really like this segment as well, because uh, this is building intrigue. It's actually building, you know, what's going to happen in this match. Um, I know some people are very down on the idea of Brandy wrestling, and I sort of get it, because she is very inexperienced. Um but also, I never thought she was bad when I've seen her. You know, like she's she's inexperienced, but she's not terrible or anything. That's my opinion. Um, and if you give me a story with like this kind of mystery behind it, like who is this person? What are they going to come and do? I'm there for it. I think there could be something very fun between these two, and I, I really like how they built it up so far. Yeah. Everybody doesn't have to be at the same re- uh, level and ability. Um, I don't know if we'll get the MLW or not because, man, we got a hell of a convinced <laughs> me still around the corner. I hope we do, but we'll we'll play it by ear. We'll do what we yeah. can. Because one of my big arguments is, and convince me, is that maybe one of the biggest problems in wrestling right now for me is how good everything is. <laughs> and if, it, if, if matches would be less good, they might be a lot better. So... <laughs> I already know where you're going with that, but yes, let's uh, let's continue. Yeah, so MJF is back. You know this guy, MJF. Um, he is talking about the Battle Royal, and he starts off. Um, there's a misconception about him that he's not a nice guy, that he doesn't care. And then someone brings him coffee. Oh, my God, it's fucking cold, that idiot. And then they cut the video and start over so he can do it one more time. And he, he puts something on the table. He says he's approachable. You want to bring your kids to him. Joey Janela, you, you don't want to bring your kids. He's not approachable. And then he gives one of the best speeches. Uh, CB Mac, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, you know, what a world that we live in in 2019. That to be not only a heel, but maybe the most despicable heel is to say... I'm not in a battle royal to be a comedy act. I'm not in there to be ridiculous. He said, I watched people in the all-in battle royal go through the middle rope so they could do a flip on the floor. And he says, 
Um, what I recall about a battle royal is that you're in it to win it, and I'm. That's what makes me different. That's what sets me apart. I am here to win. I hear it's a really good prize, and it's like this is like legit heel shit that I don't want to go out there and dance with you and play with you and collaborate with you. I'm actually out there to win it. And that's just some isolated heel shit right now. And so he just marks himself forever as that greedy son of a bitch that wants to win matches. CB Mac, you are you will always be aligned with the baby faces. All their games that they play and all their privilege that they have. But I Sir will be aligned with the man who wants to win the competition, and I can live with that. Can you, sir, live with your choices? <laughs> okay, just kidding, CB Mac. I, I like that you're able to do this with impunity because he can only now come to me on Twitter <laughs> and hit me up with a million things that MJF did wrong in his life. So thank you. I look forward to all those notifications. I appreciate you. Uh, Egging this man on to to send me more of that stuff. No, I love talking to <laughs> CB Mac, one of my favorite people. So, uh, yeah, this was great. I love it. Um, everything you said and more. Um, I like a lot also that he talked about kind of the mystery prize. Uh, I'm going to go a little Dario Cueto and say the unique opportunity that somebody's going to get from winning this battle royal because uh, it was brought out. And nobody's really talked about it much, you know. Most people haven't talked about the Battle Royal at all, except to say, hey, wasn't it good at All In? Um, and I think it was, but man, like, the stakes are way higher now. There's way some higher. kind of weird prize. Like, what could it be? Like, you could get in a, a title tournament or something. You could get a chance to uh, wrestle one of these big names. Maybe you get a big, good payday. Maybe get a spot on the roster if you don't have it already. I don't know. Who knows what it is? But you know it's going to be good. So, yeah. Go ahead and get that prize. Like, more people should be clawing after that thing, I think. You get an afternoon picnic with Cody Rhodes. Sure, sure. You never know. But how Play about a this? a video game with Kenny Omega. Yeah? Yeah. It's funny to me, though. You know, Cody Rhodes likes something about this guy, and, again, you said it. Cody Rhodes, weeks and weeks and weeks ago, made it clear this was special for that reason, and nobody... And we have watched promo after promo of people introducing themselves in the Battle Royal. Nobody's had a word to say about what Cody Rhodes said until his kind of, you know, kind of son and friend in MJF is the one who picks up on it. So, mm -hmm. interesting. Um, I zoned out for this next part. Uh, I did too. That's yeah, okay, all right. There's some box on the show, and I don't want to talk about it because we don't really have time. So, Anthony, uh, go, go. I, again, man. You want to prove yourself to me? I'm more than happy. It won't be because you're a boxer from London, England. It'll be because you're a good storyteller and pro wrestler. So meet, meet me there, bro, and I will be ready to have a conversation. Is he supposed to be in the Battle Royal? Is that what they said? Or? I don't know. I have it was no idea. Like, it just seemed like he was there. Just I don't know why. So I don't know if he's even part of the company because Cody said something like whether he ever ends up in AEW or not. You know, so I don't know if they were... <laughs> All right, Cody, I'm very impressed by your friend who I guess is famous in that circle, <laughs> but I'm not in that circle, so yeah. all right, cool. There's a superstar who's on the show that we have to get to. His name is Mike, and he is walking up to another ranch, another house, another building. He knocks on the door. The door opens and it says, to be continued this weekend. I have no idea what that's about. Also, I think... 
I don't know. I didn't write that. I didn't realize. I didn't know for sure if that was Mike or not. And I'm now wondering if we are just assigning the name Mike to every person we don't recognize. But uh, if you know, am I saying the right Mike. name? Mike's your boy, so I guess you would know. Mike. Um. I... <laughs> okay. You just you and the, the universe just confirmed something for me. <laughs> Next week will be the first time ever, ladies and gentlemen, where we will have a convinced me and a convinced me junior. Just convince me for Mike. Are you, are you You're going to know who Mike is, sir. <laughs> I'm sorry, I really don't. I don't. So, yes, please send me videos of Mike if you want, <laughs> and I'll watch them. Okay. Um, but I do have big news because I ended up on Cody's uh, Twitter, which I never go on. So I don't know how this happened, but I'm glad I did because tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern. Yes. They, uh, yeah, they're dropping a bonus uh, Double or Nothing, where Cody Rhodes' opponent for Double or Nothing will be revealed. And that's probably, if you're listening live, that's probably going to happen in like 20 minutes. So, you know, yeah. pa- feel free to pause us and go watch that right away because I'm super, super interested in who that's going to be. That's been one of my most anticipated things to find out, so I'm, I'm very hyped. And yes. It can't be Marty. It can't be... Ambrose, because those people are not available yet. They couldn't announce that yet. So and it better fucking not be Dustin Rhodes. It no, he's not even. He's still with WWE. I, or maybe he lied. Matter. I don't he's know. the kind of guy who could be with WWE and still wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> I love Dustin, but yeah, I hope it's not I either. I saw uh, a great comment. Like if that gold comment was supposed to imply Dustin, then they did a great job of building that up for the last twenty years. So yeah. <laughs> I will say, yeah, pause us. I would pause us as well. Yes. But here's what we got. We got, we either have more than likely a double reveal tomorrow night or Mike is walking up to the door of the man who's going to wrestle Cody Rhodes. Uh, yeah, probably so. You're probably right. And, man, he didn't have an apple in his hand. He's probably not in a good mood. And I don't know, though, because Cody, Cody got a little sideways with him in one of those videos. So, mm. you know, be careful, Cody. That, that's your right-hand man. Treat him right. <laughs> You're off flirting with MJF, and you got the most consistent, solid partner there at home named Mike. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, next week, convince me and convince me, Junior. The only man who gets a convince me that becomes a junior just because it's about him. Can't wait. All right, I'm excited. Okay, so we got a short video here. NWA drops a video in the middle of the day. Friendship broken. Uh, this is the Marty Skrull. Post Madison Square Garden, Nick Aldis storyline, and I'm gonna say there's some things that for me were done right because it's a funny thing, Miss Fan. You you get in my head with some of the things you say because you'll say something and you're like, I'm not being direct. I'm just putting this out here, <laughs> and then it becomes true to me and it ruins whatever it is that I oh. previously. Enjoy. I really don't want to do that. I'm sorry. That's not a bad thing, though, because it's, okay. it's truths. I'm trying to think because there's a big obvious one that I usually think about when I say this, but right now I'm blanking on it. But the one that stays in the back of my head is am I going to end up not liking Marty? Okay. Because I can see that possibility. But so far, I'm very, very pleased. I have followed Marty really from last summer, the build up to Ollie and all those videos, through now. And what, one of the biggest things I want from someone is consistency. For God's sake, it shouldn't be that difficult. 
And what I have learned from Marty is that he is easily pissed off. He's very moody. He's very insecure. So when he came out, before I even knew what the segment was going to be, I said Marty's going to be pissed off because he didn't win the belt. He's going to misbehave because there's there's two kind of guys in the world as far as this idea. And I've never had this thought till I was watching Marty, who comes to the ring demanding to wrestle Nick right now. He can't wait. He wants to get Madison Square Garden out of his mind. And there are people who have a chip on their shoulder. And I like that because it drives them and they're motivated and they're competitive. And then there's a guy who most of the world will hate and I won't agree with them all the time, but I'll hang in there with them when the whole world's against them, even though I, I don't like them at times. And that's a guy who has a chip on their shoulder and the chip is too big for their damn shoulder. <laughs> the chip makes them behave in ways that I can't excuse, but I can understand. So I don't jump off the bandwagon. And I've got a feeling, Kanye West, what's up, my friend? You were a genius at one time. Never forget that. The chip's big, my friend. The chip's big. I got a feeling Marty might be that guy because there were moments in this segment where I both said, I love this. Because I knew how Marty was going to behave, and he behaved that way. And there were moments where Marty felt like in the best and worst ways, like finally, he is the little brother. We've had Nick Aldis calling him my little brother, and it felt disrespectful. Miss Van called it out. I said, he's a bigger star than you, jackass. Like, how is he the little brother? But there was a world where he should be the little brother. And it, could be, and it finally came true this week because by Marty misbehaving and demanding the match, Nick Aldis finally got to look like big brother in being in his, what I call his anti-swagger swagger, his <laughs> Let me stand here. I don't care. I'm wearing a suit. Uh, and I got a belt. Nobody else can wear it. And so he just comes out. And he's not going to get in the ring. He's not going to indulge what to him is just a temper tantrum. Um, Marty says he's not in the best of moods right now. He doesn't want to go any longer without being world champion. And he's not talking about Matt Taven. And when Nick comes out, Nick can't even talk because Marty's just screaming. And again... I didn't make my point, so I apologize for that. What I was saying earlier and watching him for a year, he was super insecure and pissy because he's not treated like a heavyweight, and he wanted to be treated like a heavyweight all in. Then he gets drunk and just accosts all his friends at uh, New Year's because they're all leaving. Then he goes around in an all-my-friends-are-dead shirt. Like, this is not the most attractive human being. Like, this is not the most secure the most stable human being. And again, I don't like some of those things, but I also can understand them. And I would rather, if I have to fucking deal with you where you feel too much and it fucking sucks to deal with you at times, or you never feel enough, Nick Aldis, I'd rather deal with the one who feels too much. I don't like everything Shawn Michaels did. I don't like everything Bret Hart did, but man, they fucking cared. Mm. You know, so I'd rather have that problem. So he's in the ring screaming, come on, Nick, fight me. Let's do it right now in Pennsylvania. And what does he say? Cool your jets, little bro. You know, let's 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 bring it down. He's a businessman. We'll fight at Crockett Cup in a real rustling state of North Carolina. Realest thing he ever said. And then um, he, here it comes. Finally, their roles feel right. He says, once again, it's Big Brother saving you from yourself. Because you don't want to fight me in that state of mind. I'd tear you up like my um, cheap suit. And this is not a cheap suit. 
And um, then he says, and really, I want it to be a good match. I'd hate to see you choke like you did in Madison Square Garden. They end up in the ring together and second time in a row uh, when Marty goes after Nick, uh, the manager, the bodyguard stands in the way and she backs down Marty. But you mark my words. I said this weeks and weeks ago, and I felt like I was on point with Nick for the first time in my life. I said he's a logician, and if you want to hurt his pride, and you want to piss him off, outsmart him. And Marty's girl waited until she left the ring, and Nick had one leg out, and he thought he had showed him up to run across the ring, grab Nick, and break his finger. So Marty didn't just shame him, didn't just attack him. Marty outsmarted him. And that's not the thing to do. Okay. Um, yeah, well, it was a good segment. It was probably as good a one as they've done, um, to be honest. And uh, in fairness, yeah, it did deliver on some of the stuff that they built up in previous weeks that I may or may not have been a little critical of. Um, there's a few things in here that I did take a little bit of exception to, and I want to throw them out there, and I hope... <laughs> you don't know how you're hurting me uh, when you say that I might be ruining things for people because all I want in the world is for everyone to just enjoy wrestling and enjoy the things. But also, I do have a critical mind sometimes. So I'm going to throw these out. You can tell me uh, what you think about these points. All right, three things. Number one, um, and this is not a Ring of Honor thing. This is almost an everybody in wrestling thing. And I hope it's something AEW can do something about. I am fatigued with the uh, WWE-style presentation. Uh, one guy comes to the ring, cuts his promo, wants someone else to come out. The other guy comes out and stands on the stage. He's going to cut a promo back. They're going back and forth. Um, this is not the worst example I've seen, but uh, it's just so prevalent. Um, so I'm not even saying they did it badly. I'm just saying I hope AEW can come up with some more varied ways to tell their stories and to have these confrontations. Okay. I want to hear all these critiques because I, and if I could have thought of the example, there's nothing to feel bad about because I'm not so weak minded that it just like changes my <laughs> mind, but it reveals to me the thing that eventually was going to be there, but maybe I'm not seeing it yet because I'm newer to some of this stuff. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, but are you saying you don't want any of this or you just want more varied, like different ways of doing it? Honestly, it, it's the same to me almost as like the authority figure and that it's been so overused that I would like to see it just go away for a while at least. Like give it a break, explore other things because it's, it's as generic as generic can be. That's my opinion. Are there in, in arena options that are like this, but not this? Like I, cause I'm trying to get your, um, sure. How about, uh, after a match, you know, some kind of confrontation uh, in that way. Or yes. you could do an in-arena interview. You, you must know. You remember when they had, like, the little interview stage, yes. like, in the WWF and I think maybe in WCW, too? Man, bring back something like that. Give them a reason to be out there in front of the crowd, but they don't have to be, you know, marching down to the ring. This is all my life story. This is how I feel. <laughs> I feel all sorts of ways. I'm going to fill up all this time and oh i got interrupted oh no what you know so i don't know it's just like it's the same so much that like i think there's just a lot of different things you can do 
I agree with that on for a completely different reason. Okay. I think I enjoy pro wrestling more the more spaces that it has. Mm-hmm. So even if shows like the Heartbreak Hotel were not the best talk show ever, at least it was on a stage somewhere else. Like right. I can't stand everything being in the ring. Right. Yeah, like, why not have three or four sets? Because it, it transports you to a new place where only certain things happen here. It's the same thing with the Hall of Fame and Bret Hart getting attacked. It looks shitty to me, and it looks like a downgrade anyway, so like, don't do it. For sure, yeah. I hate these in-ring segments. Uh, like, I went to a show a number of years back where it was like The Miz was doing whatever his show's called, and I should know because I'm a Miz fan, but I forget, so whatever. <laughs> but yeah, it was like him and Dolph Ziggler, and I was sitting like, across from the camera, and that meant I was looking at, like, their butts and, like, the, you know, <laughs> the furniture, like, the back of the chairs the whole time, and I'm like, yay, what? Yay. You know? <laughs> like, fuck Bad you. Seat. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, maybe that's part of it. Just, like, yeah, uh, gear it for the live crowd, like, in a more creative way. I don't know. Something like that. It's cheap as fuck. Like, yeah. I, that, the stage belonged to Gene Oakland. Like, that's Gene Oakland's space. Sure, yeah. You know? Why do you have filming. a stage? It's called a stage. Use the stage. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about plays. You know what I mean? Like, the drama plays out on the stage. The the wrestling, it, you know, happens in the ring. And that doesn't always have to be strictly like that. But you would think more times than not, the wrestling would happen in the ring and the drama would happen on the stage. For sure. For sure. All right. Thing number two. Critique number two. Um Something Marty said that rubbed me the wrong way. It wasn't a huge thing. But at one point here, he's like... Oh, these people are tired of seeing a lot of angles that we're doing, you know, something like I that. I knew when he said that. Like, I cringed for you. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> all right. And I shouldn't, I'm not surprised because it's like, it's very the elite to do like all this insider lingo in the middle of your promo. And it just, it always takes me out of it. Because, <sighs> like, here's what I'll say because I don't like that either, but okay. I am lowering my standards on nine and a half out of ten things that we talk about every week. <laughs> Well, God bless you. My my solution has always been to watch different kinds of things that don't do that. But uh, it's I just don't not know a deal breaker. A... It's just annoying. So I don't know if there's a world, current world for me where I don't have to like severely check some of my preferences at the door. So it it humbles a person. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, third critique, another not a huge thing, but uh, this is more maybe about Ring of Honor than anything else. But uh, as that woman, I forget her name, someone clued me in, but I forgot. She yeah, like, intimidated I... Marty. Then all this, like, left her, like, guided her out of the ring or something. And on commentary, they were like, Marty would never hit a woman. And I'm like, okay, one, she's, like, twice the size of him, <laughs> so who cares even if he did try? And two, he's the fucking villain. Surely he'd do <laughs> anything, you know? Like, even if he is a baby face, like... Know your characters, man. So, okay, that yeah, that's all I got. Okay. And well, it was a good segment, yeah. I just had some nitpicks, but, like, it was as good as anything, I think, that they've done to build up this Crockett Cup match. And I There's at least some truth to that for me that might not even be exactly what you're talking about, is that I was thinking today, if that is the case, why would he show up without some woman in his corner? <laughs> because either if you're not going to do that, then clearly she has stopped you two times from even having an encounter. So it would be obvious to me if this was in any way an authentic fight, what's going to end up happening. You know, she's going to because she can stop you at any point then from doing whatever you want to do. 
So, you know, like, you would think by now he would have a strategy. And, again, that goes back to being the villain and being a thinker and, you know, being a planner and a strategizer. But <laughs> maybe another clue that he hasn't actually been thinking about Nick all this at all, like, yeah. even remotely. So, Oh, yeah, there's even some truth in that because, like, you don't want the NWA title for the NWA title. You want the NWA title to make you feel better about not being a Ring of Honor champion. Hey, here's something. Maybe I missed it because I, I kind of watched this in a hurry, like a few minutes before we went on air. But uh, did all this even mention anything about the fact that he now does not get a Ring of Honor title shot that he was supposed to get because Marty failed? No, he does not. He didn't even bring it up. So, like, that was a whole thing. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I don't know if it's on NWA or Ring of Honor, but I, I feel like balls are being dropped in the yeah. creative area. And it's little things, but I live, literally, I live in wrestling for the little things. So, like, that's not a good way to draw me in. You can infer, and, you know, I would argue with you that maybe you we won't better than to have to infer, but the, the biting comment about choking in Madison Square Garden to me is a bit of, like, you let both of us down. You know, you didn't just let yourself down. I suppose, but what a missed opportunity to make more of it. I don't know. And Nick wouldn't have done it in an attractive way, even if you give him the line to say <laughs> Well, if we accept that, then we have to throw this whole thing out, because he's always going to be Nick Aldis, and nothing yeah. he does will be compelling. So. Well, I mean, that's one of the things you convinced, because I used to find ways to enjoy him, but you also convinced me that I was working too hard and that he is not to be enjoyed. And I, now I feel like I didn't have to try very hard for that. Nah. So. I mean, though, you know, I was able to say... I will treat this belt as prestigious as long as they're doing videos I like, but um, we had a hard week one week on the NWA. The NWA took a beating one week on the show. <laughs> they earned it. So no, you're more right because, like, yeah. <laughs> more than likely, Marty's not going to win and he's going to go to AEW, and I'm not going to pay attention to the NWA again until they run into somebody else like Cody Rhodes. So. Yeah, probably not. Um So, yeah, uh, we're definitely not going to talk about MLW this week, are we? <laughs> We're going. What we're going to do for sure is to talk about the greatest wrestler of all time. Mm, I know you're saying that. I know why you're saying that, but I got a little rise in my throat just now. Okay, it's all right. We can do it. We can talk about the man himself, Kenny Omega. I'm going to need a lot of time as far as I've got back, front and back, three uh, three pages each, so it's like 12 pages of notes on these matches because they're very long. Um, and, Boy, and I just want... Are they long? I don't want to miss things because I tried to be as open-minded, and I I saw several things that I appreciate that I did not know. I think it's impossible, like, no matter what you think of Kenny Omega, I think it's impossible to watch his matches and not at least recognize that he is exceptionally good at some things. Yes. Um, like, Absolutely. you can't debate that. <laughs> One thing I came away with is I respect this man. I don't know if I enjoy his style as much as some. Uh, but I couldn't enjoy his style as much as some, <laughs> but uh, I take your point. Yeah. No, okay, because you know we might not be in the same place, but like if you put him in a world, like to me he is worlds and worlds above and apart of from the Young Bucks, for example. Yeah, I, I don't know about worlds and worlds, but yeah, I like him better than the Young Bucks. Okay, for so. me he is worlds because everything he does to me. And this is opposite. You're gonna make me. Do. You know what you're gonna make me do is you're gonna make me do another convince me that I don't want to do, which is the young bucks, to just to show you that they're like not as shit as they looked like in like the one or two matches that we've watched with them. So 
If you decide to do that, I respect you as my colleague. Um, Another way to do that would be wait until they show that in AEW, and then you can be like, this is what I'm talking about. Fair enough, but I could have done that with Omega, too, but, like, these people, they come up so much, and I want us to have, uh, I don't, like, not, I want us to have a a frame of reference that's going to be good enough that we can, like, have the conversation, so... Not that we're not having, like, really good conversations anyway, but, like, you can always, like, build that norm. I'm sorry, I'm I'm, de- I'm detracting again, so let, let's get to Kenny Omega. Okay, if I want to start, okay, so I, I sent this to you. Kenny Omega <laughs> speaks This in is what not the right to thing to send to me if I was supposed to like Kenny Omega more, but okay, here we go. Kenny Omega talks about how it's almost too easy to have a five-star match, and... There's going to be about two sentences that I'm going to say are kind of deep and interesting, and the rest contradicts itself from the start and just makes him look like a complete idiot. So let's do this. He says, it is a lot of pressure. It is is a lot of pressure is his first words. And, of course, it takes two to tango. But ironically, when I use the word tango, I can relate it to and liken it to perhaps ballroom dancing, where the best dancers in the world can dance in sync with any partners that are professionally trained. Their body responds. Jesus Christ! Their body responds to every twitch of the muscle fiber, and it almost becomes an animalistic response, and it becomes reaction and becomes instinct. And whether I've always had that or not, I'm not sure. But I realized I had the skill in 2016 at the G1 in my first run in the G1. That was perhaps the way I wanted to approach my storytelling. Plus the passion that I had, the pride that I had. With my own performances were various components in a gigantic witch's brew that allowed me to really evolve myself as a performer. And once I made that gigantic evolutionary step, I sort of felt that I unlocked the secret to, I guess, you could call it the five-star match. Without sounding too egotistical, way too late. A five-star match, to me, is kind of an easy thing to do with almost anybody. The only time I would falter in my quest to have a five-star match was when I really go out of my way to try something absolutely new or something I'm unfamiliar with or 100% comfortable with because I could rehash and recycle the same old formula because I know that works. But if I start doing that, then I'll stop growing, and I don't feel that I am finished yet in my process or evolution, so I'm still going to get a little frisky, and I'm and I'm still <laughs> going to try new things. But if someone had a gun to my head and said, have a five-star match with this guy, it is kind of light work at this point and pretty easy stuff. Eh, like I said, this is not the statement that you want to send to me if the idea is that I'm going to like Kenny Omega more. And I know it's not why you sent it, but just like... I kind of know what he's getting at, and I feel like maybe I understand him a little bit better, like, as a person now, but also I find so much of this just, like, really obnoxious, and it's just really not landing with me where I am. So what did you think of that? Like, you were much more a stranger to Kenny Omega, so for this to be one of your first, like, big exposures to him, I don't even know what you must think of that. I came, this is a weird, it's going to be a weird conversation. I don't know how it will go because I came away respecting Omega more. But in the context of this conversation, this tells me nothing about Kenny Omega. It tells me that the five-star match is a fucking joke now that is broken, that has no legitimacy. The day that anybody can easily, as light work, have a five-star match with anyone, the five-star match is no longer the five-star match. 
And why do you start by talking about it's a lot of pressure and it takes two to tango? Because no, it's no pressure. It's light work. And no, it doesn't take two to tango because you could have a five-star match with anyone. And if anybody on the goddamn motherfucking planet wants to tell me that he had a five-star match with Chris Jericho that we watched a few weeks back, then I will fucking just retire from what I am doing. Because if that's a five-star match, I've got nothing to look forward to in the rest of my wrestling fandom. So that's that. And then you get into this, I don't even know, like these six-star matches that David Dave Meltzer is giving. Like we watched, I watched, I think you watched all four matches, we'll get into it, but I watched Omega Okada, and I watched Omega Cody, and Omega Okada is a six-star out of a five-star match? Um, It's a six-star match, yeah. I'm about out of five, but yeah, no, I find that whole thing ridiculous. What is it out of? It's out of whatever. I don't know. I hate that whole conversation. I've had it too many times, so I don't, I don't know if I even want to get into. Okay. The whole Meltzer broke his scale. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. I don't care. Uh, it's one man's opinion, so I'm going to leave that to one side. But we're also talking about here the hottest free agent in the world. Yep. Pretty much only on the fact that he delivers five-star matches. Yep. Like, I, I see nothing about character. Like, I've seen not a thing. Like, the only King Omega character that I like is kind of, I'm an idiot who plays video games and doesn't know the difference between, like, promoting a show and using, like, a scam that is infamous. Like, I, that's the only King Omega I buy as a character so far. So, that's one thing. Number two is I cannot... I don't do ratings anyway like that, but I could not rate Omega versus Okada because... I'm not, I would have to be watching the company and I would have to know the storyline and be engrossed in the storyline because in my world forever, you're not getting a five-star match if I don't care about the, the storytelling, the characters, the reason that they're in there and, what, and how they're responding. It's not just two men or women or men and women wrestling each other. Mm. And this is the biggest fucking problem. I'm going to talk about things I was impressed with, but the biggest problem is that I debated somewhere in here that I don't know if there can be a five-star match for me post-attitude there. Because here's a challenge I would have for Kenny Omega. If the fucking five-star match is so easy that you can go out there and do it with anyone, why don't you go out there and do it without using furniture? (laughs) That's a fair question if it's that easy. You don't need fucking ladders and chairs and tables in every match, especially when they're not notice qualification matches and the referee has to mysteriously be God doing God knows what the whole time. That's not a five-star match, in my opinion. Mm. Like, if I went out and said I could do a five-star match, like, the, the, the idea that a ladder's got to be in my match every time or a table, like, don't insult me. So I don't think you can have a five-star match if you can't have a match without furniture. And I also and that's just post attitude there. So like Omega and Okada, for me it was a good match. It was actually less like where my expectation was, it it, it probably slightly didn't meet that. Mm. I don't think it's a six star match where the fuck that is. <laughs> but I also wouldn't judge it in a way because like I said, I I, I got to thinking, who do I like? Like Shawn Michaels I know that's not the popular thing anymore, but watching some of these guys just reminded me, god damn, he was good. Mm. Because for me, 
he had the athletic skill that a lot of these guys had, but he also had an emotional component in storytelling. And I love Bret Hart as a technician, but the reason I get pissed off when Bret Hart talks about Ric Flair doing the same match over and over so he's not good is if he did the same match over and over. God damn, is he good because he engaged a live crowd every single night. And that's another, like that's something I don't always see is these guys like keeping the live crowd in it every moment, like having them kind of in the palm of your hand where you can bring them up and bring them down and not by like killing yourself to do it. So that's something I was impressed with in time. And then the last thing that I will say about this whole five-star match, if you really are that good, one thing I want to see from Kenny Omega, you should be inventing the match not working within the parameters that are that predictable. And so you you got someone watching who has watched very little WWE for 20 years, almost no New Japan, and I know the structure of all these matches. I know how long you're going to do this thing, then you're going to transition to this thing, and then you're going to have the back and forth where you exchange blows and finishers and keep kicking out. Until one of you finally hits your finisher for the 17th time and you win the match. If five-star matches are easy, you would dictate the structure. The structure would not dictate you. So I'm going to talk about ways that I'm impressed with Omega. But I'm also, I I, I cry foul on this whole five-star machine. (laughs) Um, It's really a statement that makes no sense anyway because it assumes pretty explicitly that like there is such a thing as a five-star match Mm. objectively something that will be like a five-star match for everyone um the only way this makes sense is if he's like if he if he meant this to be like a private message to dave Meltzer himself you know (laughs) he's like sure omega he knows how to get a, a five five plus whatever thing out of out of Meltzer, you know and it's like popular to try to dunk on Meltzer, and I get why, but I don't begrudge Meltzer really. I don't either. He does, you know, because uh, he's entitled to his opinion. I think it's unfortunate that people take that opinion as some sort of like objective sign, um, but it is what it is. I think you'll get that in any fan base, any scenario. You'll get people like that whose opinions are way higher than they should be. Um, so yeah, I, it doesn't make any sense, you know, Kenny Omega. He goes out there, he does Kenny Omega things, and right now, like, yeah, that's probably consensus pick that people like him more than just about anybody else, you know? They're just into that stuff. Um, but it's weird then to just say, oh, yeah, I can just easily do a perfect match every time. Like, it's yeah. just really weird. And um, I get the impression, and I could be totally wrong. I don't know. This is just me using my felt sense here, as we like to do. But I get the impression that Kenny Omega is a very instinctual uh, kind of guy. And he even kind of mentions that a yes. little bit in here. Um, I can respect that to a certain extent. You mentioned Flair. And while I think there's a lot of differences between Flair and Omega, I think there are some similarities as well. Because Flair is also a guy who would like not, you know, he would run by instinct. He would run by kind of like what would get the crowd going the most. Um, and there are some similarities there with Omega. Omega, you know, I feel like he goes out there and he wrestles 
a very similar match a lot. You're right. There's going to be like some furniture. It's going to be super long. There's going to be like tons of big bombs at the end. It's going to go like 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 minutes, you know, whatever the hell, uh, you know, so the first 20 minutes are probably going to mean nothing. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's going to hit a lot of the same like broad strokes things. And part of that is Omega, and part of that is just the New Japan style, and it's very in right now. People like it a lot. It's not my favorite. Um, but, yeah, I don't begrudge anybody who thinks it's a five-star match. I keep ratings of everything I see. I don't often share them because I think they are meaningless to other people. Um, oh, that's nice. You know? They're just, like, for my own reference. Like, if I'm trying to think, like, oh, what's a good match from this guy? I just look at oh, I really like that match. And it doesn't matter how many asterisks I put behind it. You know, that's just for my own benefit, so... You know someone believes what they say when they watch as many matches as you do, and they rate all of them, and they don't talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's a pointless conversation. Honestly, it's an annoying conversation to have, because what could I say? I could say, this is a great match, I love it for these reasons, or I could say, this is a five-star match. That doesn't tell you anything. Except that I like the match, I guess. But, you know, then you're not even thinking about the match. You're thinking about, how can that be five stars? If that, that's going to be four and a half stars. Or, what if this is five and three quarter stars? And I'm like, who gives a fuck? We're just trying to yeah. enjoy wrestling. My God. And if you understand context at all, then yes. the guy who, let's say back in the day, is wrestling a TV title match or the, like, that guy could have a five-star match contextually for what he needs to do, what he's asked to do that night and what he's meant to do that night. Right, yeah. You know, so then it becomes a weird thing where, like, Lex Luger is really the worst wrestler of all time, but, uh, you know, contextually, he wrestled Lex Luger matches that did Lex Luger things. So is that a five-star match? Because, you know, you, you're going out there doing the exact thing you're being paid to do. So, like, so um, is Barrington Hughes doing one move to somebody and finishing the match? Is that a five-star match because he's like, oh, this is a big man doing a big man thing according to what they're asking him to do, and he's building his name, so he's doing everything he's supposed to do. Hey, you know, so you can be ridiculous. But most of the time, like, I'm not going to knock people, because so, a lot of times, too, it's a very it's a very deep thinker. It, it, in the um, old Myers-Briggs, which, you know, I'm not putting credit on that, but you got your, your fillers and your thinkers. I think the, the, the T, if you're a T, you might be more likely to take – the rating system seriously whereas i'm not someone who can stay in boundaries like i bleed over boundaries so that doesn't work for me yeah and i mean context like you said is super important like a match is going to have a totally different impression on you if you are invested in the characters and the company yeah. if you know everything because this is another thing i hear a lot from people people that i like like uh sir sam who contributed uh, to this conversation, who's a great guy. Uh, yes. I think Oliver may have talked about this, uh, maybe the implications. Like, awesome guys. People have told me, like, oh, Kenny Omega, he's this great storyteller. In this one match, he, like, he used all the moves of the Bullet Club, and it meant something. Or in this match, like, he used his arm in a certain way and all this stuff. And, like, it always sounds great. Like, I'll read about it, and I'm like, that sounds really good. And then, man, I'll watch it, and all I ever see is, is a guy who's wrestling really, really hard and then, like, pulling weird faces when things are <laughs> happening. So, you know, it, there's, there's a disconnect between what others see and what I see. And part of it's context and part of it is taste. And there's a, a load of nuance to it that just 
it's really hard to have nuance when you're debating about star ratings and nuance is one of the best things ever. So like, it's just, it's a bad conversation. Yeah. We, we tend to fight for what we covet the most. And again, I nuance, I was in an interview last night and one of the professors said something nuanced. And I said, I just want to say, I really appreciate that because we kind of live in a world where we're, we're specialized into our extreme views of things. So anyone who is nuanced in anything makes me happy because we need more of that. And I value the hell out of that. And yeah, so like the structure gets in my way is like your stars because you know what? Someone, this is what I pled for, right? So the argument that I ended up making out of these matches is the best thing that wrestlers could do right now is to have matches that would be less stars, fewer stars, like have a worse match than what is supposed to be a good match. Like get out of the star system because the star system is nothing but a, a construct, as you mentioned, of what is liked right now. Yeah. And so like, if you want five star for me, which you're not going to get because I don't do stars, but I, you know, if I did, it would be because you came out there and you did something. And I was like, what the fuck? This is 2019, bro. What are you doing? Like, you know, you want a five-star match from me? I think here's here's how you would get a five-star match from someone who doesn't even do star matches. So, Kenny Omega, you're hurt. You're laying, like, one leg is out. When you're on your knee, you're making a face. You're looking up at the heavens. And your opponent, he goes outside the ring, and he pulls a table. And the table is hooked to a ladder. It's hooked to a chair, and they all just come out of the ring. And then Kenny Omega rolls out, and he's like, nah, bro. We're going to wrestle this match. And he just... Puts them, he slides them right back under the ring, and then they get in the ring and they wrestle a match. And they're like, oh my god, they they are these fucking visionaries, these visionaries, five stars. <laughs> yeah, That's, you know, I talk about rating matches for myself, and the only criteria I have is how much did I enjoy this, you know? Good. And if you're thinking about something beyond that in wrestling. That's kind of weird to me. Like, oh, well, like, it wasn't epic enough, and they didn't use enough moves, or, you know, like, they should have done more counters, or, you know, I, I don't even know what, like, the criteria might be. But if it's the stuff you enjoy, then that's great. But you got to recognize that other people are going to enjoy different stuff. It's not going to be the same star rating, you know. I'm so sick yeah. of talking even about star ratings, so. I was, right, cool. I think one of two things happens to that fan, in my opinion. One of them is either you lose yourself and you forget what you are, mm. and then two, if you become a personality known for kind of ratings, then you got to kind of live that in both areas of your life. So you're kind of condemned by your own uh, success, and so yeah. One thing that I will say, can you Omega? And with this, I think we maybe we part here. He he turned out to be more purposeful to me in his matches than I thought he would be. Mm. Like, I found him at times to be very purposeful and very uh, precise in what he was trying to do. Okay. And he definitely, I definitely get the animalistic thing because, and the primal and the uh, kind of in the moment because it does feel like that he's just kind of following these impulses at times. Mm. So... We start off, this is Omega 2017, Wrestle Kingdom, Omega, Okada. Yeah, um, first, uh, or I guess the first talked about, quote-unquote, six-star match, which, yes, was strange. I, I don't get that at all, but... What do you think about his character, like, with the video game stuff, with the, um... So we get, we get a whole video with him. 
That that's a portion of his gimmick. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, gimmick is a better word than character, I think, because I don't really see any character aspect to that, to be honest. Um, uh, it's a gimmick. It doesn't really connect with me at all. Uh, Omega, he's got the same problem that some other guys have, and I don't really know what his gimmick is or if he even has one. Because yeah, he's like making a lot of video game references, but it doesn't. I don't feel any kind of connection to wrestling. Um, you know, he's the cleaner. I don't know what that means. Yeah. He's, uh, uh, he's like a whole bunch of stuff. Um, he's the best bout machine, I think, which is dumb because you, you know, take a page from MJF because you're supposed to be winning, not having the best bouts. Um, he's, uh, I, he's some more stuff that I wanted to critique, but I'm not even remembering it off the top of my head. So, uh. If I think of it, you know, I'll go to it. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what his character is. Like the fans, it, they started a thing and the Young Bucks started it where they do like the Terminator theme for him. And mm-hmm. I don't know what that's about because he's not like a machine or a, like, uh, you know, he doesn't come off with like a killer instinct to me or anything. I don't know. It's just like random stuff thrown together. And it's not really a gimmick and it's not just a character. It's just like random stuff thrown together that the fans responded to. And it's great that the fans responded to it, but I'm there and, like, it's just not for me, I guess. Like, I don't get it. Yeah, I think you're definitely more down on him than I am. <laughs> I've had a long time to be so. He's another guy, you may experience this uh, and you may not, but um, he talks about the 2016 G1 when he kind of broke out. And I remember at that time there were a lot of matches of his that I was like, wow, you know, this guy, he, he really kind of, like, um, plugged into something here. He's doing some really cool stuff. You know, I like that. I like it a lot better than what he's doing before, which was like kind of weird comedy stuff that was not really connecting with me at all. Um, or like taking big bumps just for the sake of taking big bumps. Um, so yeah, like I, I was more into this than what he was doing before, but the more I watch it, the more I feel like I'm just watching the same match every time. And, uh, it's really, kind of soured me on him so yeah i guess I, I probably am more down and you you may have that experience and you may not because um, a lot of people watch him time over time and keep finding new things to like about him which is great i love that it's just not my experience okay and you know it's gonna be tough because i'm gonna hold him to the standard AEW that you know he's being placed in and that's a yeah, high i mean i think that's part of it just like this best wrestler in the world thing it's really tough for me because I, I am a little bit contrarian. I'm a little bit oppositional. And when everyone in the world comes around and tells me yeah. that this thing is the best thing, then, yeah, I'm going to develop a really high standard for that thing. And if it's not connecting with me, then the gap is going to seem way bigger than if people had just been like, oh, this guy's a good wrestler. I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, maybe he is a good wrestler. But, you know, when they're saying he is the best, I'm watching his matches and I'm like, Looking at my watch, twenty-seven minutes in, and be like, "Come on, you know, like that's a bit different." So, yeah, I think if I was booking him, he would be the person he was in that interview that I read. Like, he would be the most selfish slash unaware human being in the world. <laughs> because that 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 if that was a heel promo instead of like a real interview, yeah, yeah, goddamn, like this guy. Like he's bored because the five star match is too easy for him. Like Jesus Christ, man, what a! <laughs> and it's, it's all the more because I really he has this. Like I don't know how he really is, you know, but 
at least the way he presents himself, is so nonchalant. Like I can see him saying that, walking out of the interview and never having a second thought about it, he just just saying that the five star match is too easy for him. There is something like weirdly not self aware about Omega. And I don't know if yeah. that's like just my perception or if it's a put on or what, but yeah, like just these comments here and just other stuff I know about him. He seems sort of like disconnected, like um, you know, I, clearly he's passionate about wrestling, but I think when he's done with wrestling, he'll probably just move to Japan and like live quietly in a house and like play his video games and yeah. not like when he's not wrestling, he's like not presentational at all. Um, and uh, I don't think he's thinking about like comments in these interview in the context of anything. He's just literally just saying whatever he thinks, and he may not have even examined like very much what he thinks. So. I don't know. That's just the impression I get. Yeah, you don't know what's true and what's not, but like the most I ever connected to him so far has been when he was making that promo, that a video for the festival, because <laughs> like I believe that's what he would do. Right. Like, yeah. Go in there and watch some videos and think you're having a groundbreaking idea when what you're doing is ripping off something that was a ripoff that was a scam, <laughs> and everybody else is aware of it, and they're like, because the young bucks are super aware. You can call them a lot of things that are super aware. Cody Rhodes is super sure. aware. Yeah. And then Kenny Omega is playing video games. So. Right, for sure. Yeah. I don't remember so if he I, does I, it in either of these matches that we're going to talk about, but he has one spot where he's like, um, do you know what I mean if I say like a Finley rule? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he does that, but before he does it, he like stalks around the ring with the guy on his shoulders, and then he says in this really bizarre cadence, you can't escape. <laughs> I don't know if it's like a video game reference or – if it's just, like, a weird Kenny Omega thing, I don't know. But, like, it's such a strange little thing. And, like, it encapsulates me kind of the weirdness of Kenny Omega. But if people respond to it again, you know, like, I can't fault him for doing this stuff. Yeah. It's a world that, uh, in a way, I think that <sighs> it's hard to be mad at in a way. But right. there's all these spaces you got WWE who dictates everything. I don't like that. Then I'm introduced to a world where it seemed like there were no rules. And if you like something, you go out there and you present that. So all you like video games and you want to, you want to pretend like you're not in a match or in a video game. Now you're having a random battle, you know, do that. That's awesome. Like one promotion, you're never told yes. And then everywhere else, you're never told no is what I feel like. Mm. And so Ken, like, yeah, I, I think sometimes he just, He's just entering, like, you're not in a wrestling match anymore. You're, you know, like a role-playing game or something, and he's, you know, you're in a random battle. You know, they, they, they can just do whatever they want to do, you know. And the Young Bucks, you know, for God's sake, they sure as hell can do what they want to do. And yeah. sometimes that works, but, man, you know, WWE, again, is successful in part because they almost appeal to nobody too strongly but appeal to everybody. And then Kenny Omega, well, he's appealing to a lot of people, but this whole idea, you've got to be careful because if all I am is exactly what I like, there's only one of me in the world. You know what I mean? So everybody's not going to like everything exactly like I like it. So if all I'm doing is that, then you got to be careful. And that's to me sometimes all these guys get so in their pocket that it's almost like we should turn our heads because they're just having a private moment with themselves. So, um, I enjoy. I thought he was—he's very forceful in his offense, um, and he's very purposeful, and I like that. 
I was mad at Okada for one moment because in the early match, it's like Okada's sitting on his butt and Kenny Omega's going to clobber him and it kind of looks like he looks from the side of his head and it's just like, I'm sitting here waiting. Are you about to do this? <laughs> yeah, and I was like, fucking don't make me feel like you're sitting there because you're supposed to be sitting there. But yeah, I came out liking him at the beginning a little more in his, in his purposefulness, but I also say on the second page, but but can he make me care? And how many stars does that count for? So, <laughs> you know, two things are going on. I am more impressed with there's an authenticity. Like, he hits hard. He's got force. It's purposeful. And I like that. But he, he is a wrestler, and he is a human being. It's still not connecting with me the way that I wanted to. For sure, yeah. Um, I didn't have a chance to rewatch this, but I remember watching it kind of around the time it first came out. Um and, yeah, I did really like this one, actually. This is probably one of the better Omega matches that I've seen. Um, so, yeah, uh, consensus pick puts it very high as one of the best matches of all time. You know, that's what a lot of people would say. I don't really see that, but that is the narrative around it. Um, it's a good match. And I got to say, like, I have been down on Omega um, almost because I feel like I have to be a little bit because it's, like, overwhelmingly... Uh, critical praise for him out there so i i maybe just feel i have to speak on the other side but i can't say i don't know if i've seen like a bad omega match maybe ever like the things he does well he does them so well like you really can't help but appreciate the positives about him yeah um i agree with that this match you know it's got about three different phases and it took me two matches i didn't know that at the beginning of it because you know i'm just starting to watch right and i it's, it's weird at times because i was partly enjoying it but then i say so far i don't find this good or bad oddly neutral so yeah like the first part is just i like it's what i've been crying out for as far as there's chain wrestling they're slowly filling each other out but it doesn't seem like they're doing it for real it seems like we're in the part of the match where we do this yeah you know there's and we're a, not. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was say we're, we're not not turning it up because it's not convenient or you don't do that to a fresh person. We're just not in the part of the match where we start doing that yet. <laughs> uh, you said something earlier about like matches trying to be too good these days. I think yeah. that there's a lot to be said for that because it's definitely become the style in some promotions try to have every match be like a five star match, and it's like it's it's exhausting, honestly. You know. I, it's it's why I find it hard to watch like PWG or something because that's really kind of all they're trying to do at times and uh, it's just like overload. Um, another thing that I, I want to say about this style is like it's so smooth that it's like too smooth because like everything is so polished and in its place and yeah, like I, I really feel like there's no grit, like there's no struggle to it a lot of the time and it's really just kind of Similar to what you're saying, it's like, now we're in the part of the match where we do these things, and these things are the part of the dance number that will get us the five stars, and, you know, we're just kind of, like, checking all the boxes, so so I definitely get you. Yeah, that scares me, because when I want to obliterate this style in my rhetoric, I talk about it being a dance when Kenny Omega wants to talk about the beauty of it being a five-star match, he talks about it being a dance. <laughs> so that's that's a problem for me. Right. And so somewhere in these notes, I suggest that if you're going to rate a five-star match, if I were going to rate a five-star match, one category would be how much do I feel like these people are competing against each other versus with each other? Right. 
And see, that's where, like, because this match is pure. Like, I would never say this is a bad match. I would never even more so say that it's one of the greatest of all time. Mm -hmm. And I went in thinking that it probably would feel like it would be. But even WWE, when I would still watch it at WrestleMania, like, a lot of their main events to me, I don't know, just, I feel like it's had more weight than this, but, so I, but it would just fall off as far as, um, do they do they like they're competing against each other or do they compete with each other? Because the only time they do high risk moves, it feels like, is in the high risk section. The only time they do finishers is in the finisher section. The only time they do clobbering and and holds in the clobbering and hold section. You know, so like what I want to see at times is Kenny Omega is going for his finisher and then you're going for a fucking armbar because you know you're not on the same page. You're both trying to survive another human being who's trained to hurt you, trying to hurt you. Mm. You know, there's no dancing about that. Right. That's awkward and that's hard. And, you know, are you on offense or are you or are you on defense? And should you be on defense if you're on offense? You know, that's fucking hard. It's it, it's insulting to 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 say it's a dance. It's a man trying to kill you and that man is training, he's one of the best in the world to do so. And he wants to do nothing else but to defeat you. Yeah. Uh, that's my number one beef with Omega, I think. And uh, I'm, I don't like to throw out the, like, uh, if someone says, like, wrestling is like dancing, I'm not necessarily going to take that the wrong way, because it is. But also, you can't let that show, you know, uh, or at least not for me. Like, I'm not going to enjoy it if you make that real obvious. Um, yeah. And yeah, I don't know. When I watch Kenny Omega, I always get the impression that he's working incredibly hard, and that's super cool. But I also rarely really get the impression that he's like fighting or struggling, you know, like he's doing this thing. And it's this really difficult, uh, impressive thing. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just hard for me to invest in that way with Omega. Yeah. Um, I'm going to read you a quote off my paper, but. First, you have to promise me it won't lead to uh, convince me, Young Bucks. I promise. I, I won't <laughs> do it unless uh, you ask for it. Okay, so I say at one point, because the Young Bucks are at ringside doing their thing in both matches I watched, actually. Yeah. And I said, I don't know what a five-star match is, but whatever a five-star match is, whatever its presence or its personality, I'd like to think it does not hang out with the likes of Matt and Nick Jackson. <laughs> so... And this is where I get into, I said, you can't rate a match without knowing storyline presence, uh, non-wrestling storyline, how they tell it, all that stuff. Um, and I also say that I'm not sure if you're going to have a five-star match post-attitude error because, like, I'm not saying you cannot use furniture and have a five-star match, but it cannot be, like... It shouldn't be a prerequisite. Yeah, it can't always be these matches that are, you know? yeah. What what am I supposed to say about it? Because uh, uh, here's something else about a five star match: should it also have to have some reality in the kind of match that it is? Like when I'm watching Cody Rhodes and Kenny Omega, they use a ladder, a table, chairs, and the match is disqualification, and the announcers are talking about it. Mm. And so they're trying to find reasons why. And sometimes the ref takes the belt away or he takes the chair away because you can't use that. And meanwhile, they suplex them onto the ladder in front of the ref. Right, yeah. So, to me, the match is also... A five-star match has to do with a match. And so, 
I feel like if Edge and Christian and the Hardys and uh, the Dudleys had like a TLC match and they didn't use any weapons, very few people would call it a five star match. <laughs> so, just a thing, just a thought. Yeah, uh, these two, thought, yeah. And this is what okay. So I also sometimes Miss Van said it, and you at home, you hopefully you agree with it because it's true. It's so subjective. Like, I came out of this respecting Kenny May Omega a lot more, but also realizing through that respect he may never be my guy. Mm-hmm. Because even as I wanted to like this, especially as I was more impressed with him than what I maybe thought, in the back of my head all I was thinking is, if 2020 Wrestle Kingdom was Okada defending the title against Ibushi, what would that be like? And could they do less... And I still like it more. Mm. So I do think there are things that Kenny Omega is doing that I just can never get to. I can never like it or get on board with it. And then Okada and Ibushi do a, a standing drop kick or like a forearm or an elbow. And I'm like, oh, my God, play that back. And I don't know how much choice I have over that, but I do know I would probably order Okada Russell Kingdom defending against Abushi. And I don't even like either of them. Like neither of them so far has made me say I like you and I want to watch you. But Okada standing in the corner before the match with that spotlight on him looked regal. Looked like a champion. And his dropkick's awesome. And then Kenny Omega's busting his ass. Yeah. And trying to do things that nobody else does. And I'm more impressed with this the standing dropkick and the spotlight on him in the corner before the match. Okada, so what am I gonna do? What's he going to do, you know? We don't talk about that, but even in the academy, you know, we live in a postmodern world, and, like, I hate to say it, it, it'd be very hard. It's hard for me to work, try to even get a job at a lot of places, because if their work is more traditional, I can't get with it, so... um I read a course description at one university where, for expository writing, the course description was, everything you write will be objective, parentheses, not personal. And I'm like, fucking bullshit. Like, everything. First of all, there's there's the person in everything. And this is the same argument here. Like, we're going to stand outside of ourselves to create a five-star system that's objective. Mm. You're not going to stand outside of yourself. So my five-star system would never be fair to Kenny Omega, even if I wanted it to be. And that's just part of it. We are human beings, and we have preferences. So I came out. Yeah. Yeah, and how can a five-star system be fair or unfair anyway, you know, honestly? so It can be. You can't stand outside of yourself. Exactly. Yeah. So you can't talk about wrestling in a subjective sense, which is why I'm always – qualifying myself, you know, and making lots of space for other opinions because it's just ridiculous to think, yeah, that you have, like, the magic key to what's actually good. It's just really, really arrogant. Um, Yeah. So. That's my, man, that's my whole teaching style is just, it's relational because I have to hear other people talk so that I can hear an opinion that's not mine because if I'm talking to myself, all I'm doing is reinforcing the only opinions I know and I take for granted and don't even see anymore. Right. You know, yeah. So I need to, and, and we both try. This is why we have worked together so long, is because 
like we can agree or disagree with people, but we want their opinions to count, and we want more opinions, not less opinions. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Oh, so who win? Uh, uh, yeah, Kenny loses the match. <laughs> uh, is this the one that Omega loses? Or? Yeah, it shocked me. Yeah. I, th- I thought for sure Omega was gonna win because he's the challenger, and Okada wins the match. Yeah, he won it later in like a seventy-minute match. So. Okay, here's another thing. I almost forgot to mention this, but yeah, that later match, um, there he had a you know a seven star match with Okada also um, that he had later, <laughs> which is silly also. So yeah, don't I'm not even gonna go down that yeah. road again. But what really kind of irritated me, and I think you know maybe this is partly on me, but part of the reason I for, sort of soured on Omega is this was a seven star match before it happened. Like, nobody questioned it. I knew, I don't even follow Meltzer, like, really at all, but I knew it was going to be a seven-star match from him. I knew it was going to be a seven-star match for the people who love Omega and love the fact that he broke the scale or whatever. And, you know, when everyone gets around and they sort of preordain that this thing is going to be the greatest thing, like, it's going to be so great, it's going to shatter all the records. And I'm sitting back here with my... Austin, Bret Hart, my Flair Steamboat, my Vader uh, matches. Yeah. And I'm like, this isn't better than that. Like, it, to me, it just isn't. So it's so obnoxious that, you know, you got to love this guy. And it's not enough that you just love this guy to say he's one of the greats. You have to, like, make up new things to talk about. You have to, like, invent a new language for how great this guy supposedly is. And mm-hmm. it's just too much. I don't get it. It's so weird, and it does irritate me, so it doesn't help, yeah, uh, when you talk about stuff like that. I get why that would irritate you. Um, I almost like it because <laughs> it because it, there, it, there's an admission in that, whether it's direct or not, that this claim of seven stars has nothing to do with what actually is happening. <laughs> it it has to do with the frenzy we're whipping ourselves up into. Right. And like, I, and when you say that, like, it just makes me think, like, these people, they're just excited. They're having a wonderful yeah. time. And I am so not against that. So I shouldn't even let it get to me. But I am, like I said, a little contrarian. So I have to push back against that stuff a little bit. I will and, say this, though, before we talk about the next match, you said something I wanted to respond to. You said, like, oh, I can't make a, a judgment about Omega and, like, the stuff he is and the context and the story of these matches because I'm not watching it. But, man, if you had never seen Vader before, if you had never seen Arn Anderson before, if you'd never seen Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, these people, I feel like you would just have to watch them once or twice and you would have such a good idea of their character and of the stories of their matches. And I don't know. Like, I just – maybe it's because I am already invested in people like that, but – I feel like there are a lot of guys who can like tell you about themselves so much more easily than Omega seems to be able to. I agree with that. And I, it's a distinction. That's a real, there's two sides. So, and I do think even they tell me some stuff about themselves, but mm-hmm. I'm only saying, I think in that context, I, I should say it more clearly, the, the, the fullness of it. So okay. yeah, Ric Flair tells me who he is, Ricky Steamboat. But if I know also that Ric Flair is trotting out all these women and mocking Ricky Steamboat for ha- just having a wife that he brings out, and Ricky Steamboat has a bad temper, mm. and he's supposed to be a really good guy and loses it. Like, I can pick up on some of that from their characters and their story in the ring, but as still not knowing, like, 
and like here's what happened three weeks ago. Here's that one word this mm. person said. Here's you know true. true. I can never tell it in its fullness because like Okada always gives me like I like Okada's wrestling, but he almost reminds me, fair or not, of someone who would be a great challenger but not a good champion. Mm. Like he doesn't strike me as a guy. Like even Ta- I like him better than Tanahashi, but Tanahashi for some reason feels more feels weightier than Okada and Kenny Omega. I think this is what threw me off a bit because he seems like such a, a joke of his own self in a lot of stuff. But here in these matches, he seems so super fucking serious. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. He takes it seriously. Most, I still, sometimes I think he's like goofy, but, um, yeah. That's a good point though. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And, um, even though, yeah, you don't really get the fullness with anybody just off of one match or two. With Omega, part of my problem is, yeah, I don't get anything, really, about his character just from watching it, except that, yeah, he takes it seriously and tries hard, but, like, you know, who doesn't, kind of? Like, okay, yeah, I know you're not Joey Ryan, so good, thank you, but, you know, who are you? I I don't know. I don't know if I get a lot of that. Even just comparing to Cody Rhodes, I get, like, a hundred times more idea of who Cody is every time he wrestles than I ever really have from Omega, because here I am, I've watched probably dozens of Kenny Omega matches, and I'm still, I'm like, what's his character? He likes video games. He wrestles really hard. <laughs> That's not a character. Like, you know, I just don't know. I don't get it, so. You're hitting on a, tr- a hard truth because I can see both sides of this as someone mm-hmm. who is not quite where you are, but certainly is not where, let's say, Oliver or Sam, because right. I can see them, like, oh, look at his effort, look at his style, look at him reinventing the wheel. But I also can look at you saying that's a lot of things that he's doing, but like that's not a character, right? You know, and I hear there's gonna be a week on this show where I just do a straight up tribute to Cody Rhodes. Like that's already planned. And watching Cody versus Kenny, the first thing I said is I need to apologize to Cody Rhodes because so much in my mind I love this guy because he loves old school WCW because he grew up in what I grew up in. And I always think he's an average wrestler of personality and not like mediocre average, but he's nothing that special. And then I forget, like he had this whole run where he reminds me of Kefka, the villain on Final Fantasy. And he's got so much swag and character. And he popped off the fucking screen for me in this Kenny Omega, Cody Rhodes battle. Sure, yeah. So if they had not got so goddamn motherfucking fucking ridiculous with the chairs and the tables and the ladders. I was more than ready to say that I, this is far superior as far as my viewing than the Omega versus Okada. Mm-hmm. So that's another five-star question that I have to ask because what if your five-star match begins with in in under 60 seconds, them, them sons of bitches did 20 moves in, in one minute. And I'm judging my five-star match on how long can they go in between a, a move? Right. Because there's times that Kenny Omega and Cody are only punching each other. But, like, it looks like real shit. And they're selling it. And they're backing off. And I'm actually enjoying the distance between moves. And you're enjoying the constant moves. Mm. So we're already, we're running off in different directions. And this... There was times in this match where they were on the outside, and I was like, this is Beach Blast 
Or is this is WCW 92 or 93. I don't know why the ramp's not out there. <laughs> these, these guys are in WCW, and it's 1992. And I love Cody Rhodes for that, because I know he's part of that. That's He and I come from the exact same world. We're almost the same age. And, like, his clothesline turns people inside out because clotheslines are supposed to turn people inside out. His power slam is, like, the Lex Luger, Ron Simmons, all them guys where, like, you're really putting it on them. But there's so much space. And that's a problem. Maybe this is part of the problem. Because Ric Flair became the Ric Flair that I admire in the space between moves where he said, shut up, fat boy. Or was begging off or was, like, egging the crowd on because he had the momentum. And some of these matches are so intense and they're so athletically pleasing, but there's no space between moves. And that's where a lot of times the story and the character lives. So you're choking out the story and character in favor of the athletic competition. Yeah, I like it. I like that thought process a lot. What did you think of JR in this match? Um, I thought he was okay. Um, I wouldn't maybe hire him, like, off the strength of this match, but I thought he was okay. You know, he wasn't bad. Um, he was just kind of average. What did you think of him? I liked him. Like, I, I really get that he's never going to be the Jim Ross that he was again. Right, Yeah. But I do think there's a potential in that I feel like he's craving to tell stories that are based on actual feuds and actual characters and authenticity. Yeah, yeah. And so I like the way, again, he related something with Cody. I think I think Cody helped him be better because I think he could understand Cody Rhodes better than he understands some of the things <laughs> that goes on. Yeah, I think so. And the, one thing I want to say about Cody Rhodes, I learned something over the years from Hulk Hogan and then LeBron James, and then the whole phrase with the banks in 2008, they were too big to fail. Mm. Like, I was always watching Hulk Hogan on the surface. Like, oh, my God, I want anybody to beat Hulk Hogan, not knowing that it's not even about fan attendance. It's about all the deals you get for having Hulk Hogan at the top of your product. Right. And, like, I get so mad at the media. Like, are you being objective about LeBron James? Not knowing that for 10 years – not only is the NBA, but every every TV show that's covering sports is getting their best ratings ever because of LeBron James. Right, right. Cody Rhodes has a chance, in a way, to be that kind of guy. In that, when he's in the ring, like, this is the son of Dusty Rhodes. It's the leader of AEW. It's the mastermind. So he brings a weight that if he can develop and keep credibility and AEW keeps credibility, there's going to be a weightiness on this guy. And it might be the first ever person I'll watch that has that kind of weight that I also like. So that's going to be interesting. But I found him, without trying, make making me feel like there was more weight in the feud in the match than some of these people that are busting their ass to do something that is not translating for me. Mm. So yeah. I was I, super pleased with him. I definitely agree with the second part of that. I don't know if I necessarily agree that Cody Rhodes has the potential to have that kind of weight. In a perfect world, populated by people like you and me, I think he could, but uh, I don't know if he really has a shot in the world that we're in. Yeah. Um, a storyline weight, though. Not yeah, yeah weight. maybe so. Uh, maybe so. Okay, fair enough. 
Um, but yeah, I thought he was great. I thought there were a lot of little things he did in this that uh, elevated the match more than it would have been otherwise. Um, I uh, I love him pulling Brandy like in front of him to stop the dive. Yeah. It's a beautiful moment. I love him. Just like when when he's outside the ring and Omega's like stalking over towards him and Cody just like shoves the table into his gut. Uh, it's like a small thing, but I don't know. It's just like it's done in such an authentic way. Like I'm feeling like Cody did this because he was feeling desperate and it was just like a, a spur of the moment thing. Um, and that's the kind of thing I'm like, I don't get that from a lot of New Japan matches. I, I never get the idea that people are like thinking stuff up in the moment because it's also mm-hmm. polished. And Cody, he's not, he's just not that polished. He's out there you know, thinking about that kind of, like, character aspect. So, yeah, I mean, Cody's got his detractors, but for me, stuff like that, that makes Cody uh, more than a little bit special to me. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I love. Absolutely. I don't know if I'll find it, but there was a whole thing I wrote about. Uh, The lack of... There is an artlessness. (laughs) There is an art to how Cody moves. Yeah. It's not beautiful, it's not even pretty, but it, it's like he's really in a combat. And so, you can get all my money as a wrestling fan if you make me feel like you're you're in a competition and you're doing whatever it takes. He, he throws the table out of the way at one point, and Kenny Omega still splashes him, but he can't use the table. And I was so fucking happy because a table sitting at ringside got moved out of the way, and I was like, my God. Like, I was marking out for <laughs> a not-table spot. Right. Because, goddamn, you know, like, or let someone get pinned and the table is still sitting by the ring and nobody got around to using it. Because, like, it's so <laughs> disgusting. Oh, man, Chekhov's table uh, yeah. makes me almost subject to that. But, may I? yeah, it would be interesting. Okay, but I, I actually thought about that, and here's where I challenge that. Okay. Because, no, you're not supposed to introduce a gun if it doesn't go off. But also, every goddamn story shouldn't have a gun in it. So <laughs> Okay, that's fair. If your medium is literally full of guns going off all yes. the time, then maybe maybe it is braver not to fire the gun. I actually had that conversation in my head, so I'm glad that you said that. <laughs> oh, good. That's, that's really interesting. I like that a lot. I also said JR belongs in AEW for one reason, because he's talking about the thigh muscle being the biggest muscle um, in the body. And um, I would like for him to bring that back when he sees Pentagon, like, just laying waste to a thigh with a kid. <laughs> I like so, it. I like we'll it a see. lot. I will say this. I actually wish they had just made this a no-DQ match because uh, I totally get why you were irritated by the furniture spots, but I thought they were some of the best spots in the match, like, just taken for what they are. Uh, I said, yeah. yeah. If this is no-DQ, to me, this match is superior to um, Okada and... For my taste, because I was loving this match, and the only thing I didn't love, and it's not even, if one time the referees decided, we're going to let this go, these guys are feuding, the Young Bucks are split, you know, fine, but I want to be able to trust that a match once in a while is what is what I'm being advertised, so like, yeah. I have to object to it in bigger principles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if this will carry over to AEW or not, but I gotta say, for me, it really hardly fazed me just because I'm really used to seeing it because right. it's not uncommon in New Japan for big matches to kind of have, like, looser rules um, just on the logic that nobody wants a title match to end in a DQ 
if they can avoid it. Here, yeah, they went over the limit. Um, and for me, it wasn't even that much of a problem until they started to contradict themselves. And yeah, with like Cody, they have to bump the ref so he can use the title, even though he used the ladder and the chair and the table and all this. And it's like, okay, no, like that's silly. But uh, that was another weird thing. Like maybe this goes back to what you're saying about not knowing the full story. Cause I also don't always know all the full stories in new Japan, but I'm standing here and I'm wondering why does Cody Rhodes, who really just has been like a sleaze this whole match, why is he conflicted about, like, hitting Omega with the title to beat him? Yeah. Like, is there some secret reason for that that they didn't really, like, commentary didn't really convey it, uh, the match didn't really convey it? I don't know. Like, yeah, you'll you'll throw a guy off a ladder to his death almost, but you won't hit him with the title? Like, where are you drawing the line? It makes no sense to me. I agree 100% because, you know, and also... Like, I really like this storyline in that the Young Bucks, you know, they're with Kenny. They were really split. Like, they were telling both of them when they were going too far. Yeah, yeah. You know, but the point is they both were going too far. Yeah. So the conscious in the match, and rightfully so, and masterfully so, was the Young Bucks. It was not either Omega or Cody. So you can't have Cody all of a sudden, and then the last of it, become the conscious in the match. Yeah, yeah. It was strange. Um, but, yeah, the whole, yeah, the whole, like, Internal fight with the Bullet Club actually was a really good storyline from what I saw. It's probably one of the better things they've done in terms of, like, actually doing character-driven work. I think the best side of um, – because everything they say, it seems like we we see good or bad in it, and good and bad. But if they're not really going to have face and heels, I think one time they said um, it would be that – there are still times you clearly see this is a baby face and this is a heel, but they're more complex in that – like, I love the fact that the Young Bucks are clearly with Kenny, but at the same time, like, they still care about Cody, and they, and when Kenny gets out, out of line, they check him, you know, because they're, they're human beings, and they're torn, you know, they're not just, I've made a decision, and now I'm going to go 100% in, in that direction, because I am no longer a human being. Yeah. So, you I, know. I, yeah, I have no expectation that wrestlers have to be black and white, but um, it's... It's really difficult to, I think, book them consistently in a more complex way. And maybe it yeah. shouldn't be, but just historically it has been difficult to do that. So uh, it's a risky proposition. But, yeah, I mean, if you can just book characters that are compelling and they're authentic to, you know, their history, everything about them, then that's, that's you know, the dream, you know. It is a dream. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Kenny's going to win this match as his first title defense. And when they get rid of all the weapons, JR says, now back to a wrestling match, we hope. <laughs> so, yes, you know. very pointed. Um, so. I think I will say about that, some of the stuff I like best is that nuanced stuff right now, though, because, right. you know, at times I feel like MJF halfway cares about, you know, whether he'll ever admit it or not, how Cody feels about him. And then there's times, I, I was thinking, what if, Cody Rose almost seems like this super sincere guy offering all this money to people and being MJF's friend, when, you know, but he's also called a sociopath in this match. And there's, there's part of me that wonders if there could ever be an angle where he's been around the business for so long that he, there's nothing that he does is really sincere and nothing that he sees. Like, he's just, like, he's just gone off some weird deep end because, like, half the time I think he's the, the most sincere person and half the time, and Brandy alluded to this, like, he's fucking out of his mind. And, you know, I like not knowing which one it is. And I like that, you know, he can be a baby face in my mind, but he could love MJF. And MJF could be a heel, but in one, some way he could love, like, Cody Rhodes. So, yeah. you know. 
and I think, um, yeah, Cody definitely tries to put that over. Like, the whole American Nightmare thing, of course, is a tribute to Dusty Rhodes, but it's like an American Psycho thing, too. Yeah. Like, he's definitely going for that um, vibe at times, and uh, it's an interesting aspect of his character, especially because, as you say, yeah, he does come off really genuine, really uh, um, sincere at other times. So, I don't know. There's, there's something interesting to be played with there. Yeah, um, Jim Ross called him um, the Dream Son, and at first I thought he called him the Dream Son, and there's something about that gimmick, like, he is almost Joseph-like in this time, like, <laughs> I am the son of Dusty Rose, I have the coat of many colors, I am special, and that reminds me of MJF, so we have a babyface Cody being compassionate to MJF, but there's a heel Cody that exists that's a little bit like MJF. Yeah, yeah. So there's some fun stuff there. I think so, for sure. Um, one last thing I'll say about Omega, and then, yeah, we probably need to wrap up. I don't know if you notice this. There, there's a move he does, and I, I liked it a lot at one point, and now I kind of hate it. Um, and that move is the V-trigger knee. Yes, uh, I noticed. <laughs> okay, yeah, because it looks really good. Like, just, like, looking at it by itself, you're like, wow, that, that really looks like it could have knocked the guy out. And then he proceeds to hit, like... 12 of them, you know, yes. in, in short order. And I'm like, well, okay, apparently it's worse than, like, a punch because you can't stop doing it and it never seems to do anything. So, so yeah, that's maybe another example of just, like, excess. Uh, Kenny Omega is definitely a more is more kind of wrestler. <laughs> that's and a good you see way. that that's his matches, good. his expression, the moves he uses. I'm, I guess I'm just more of a less is more kind of guy, which is maybe why I don't connect with Omega that well. More is more, the Kenny Omega. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Good analysis. Um, I will say that a lot of independent guys strike me. For someone that's on the outside, like oh, when I try to watch this in the, the forearms and the kicks to the head and the strikes to the head and the knees to the head, and it doesn't do more than what a punch does, but yeah, it looks like it's giving someone brain damage. You're not wrong. Kenny Omega is maybe one of the leaders of that pack, but it's not uncommon at all. Um, but it is what it is. The modern style, I guess. People like yeah. like that excess right now, so more power to them. Um, but yeah, it's not it's not for me. Okay. All right, yeah, we're super close to our three-hour mark again, and we didn't even talk about MLW, which makes me sad because... Yeah. Uh, my real top ten really wants to get itself updated. But it's all right. We'll definitely get to it next week. Yes. For now, um, thanks, everyone, for listening. Please, uh, if you want to reach out to us, I am on Twitter. I'm at Spectral Dent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. That's at Spectral Gent. Um, also, please check out all the other great programs on LOP Radio. we got a great network. Also, LordsOfPain.net, LOPForums.com for a lot of great written information. That's all I've got. Anything else you want to say, my friend, before we wrap I'm up? I'm good, bro. I'm good. All right. I love it. Thanks again for listening. We will be back next week with more of everything. More is more. That will be our new <laughs> motto. Please join us. Absolutely. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. <laughs>